11 o'clock comics episode 76 Birthday, America. We're back. Well, that's not, that, that woohoo isn't anywhere near as impressive as it is when you listen. No, wow. So, there's no echo. <laughs> that's right. I say is impressive until Vince is done with it. Yeah, you're going to find yourself continually being disappointed tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. I figured. Yeah, I make, these, I make these bastards sound good. Give it a bridge now. Like Hi, in Color Me That? That's right. Oh, I'm like in Black. I mean, there you go. Good. Yes, you do. Poor Hercules and Incredible Hercules. There you go. The Pimp. That's right. Hey, buddies. It's 11 o'clock comics. Back again. I am Vince B. And I'm really excited this week. Very excited. What episode? Why are you excited, Vince? Well, because we have a guest this week. Who's that? It's Tom Fowler, artist of Mysterious, oh the Unfathomable, oh, the, the amazing I can't Tom Fowler. You got that guy. Oh, he's I really he's good. Asshole. He's very good, though. Very oh, well, good. that's good. And he disrupts the flow of the show by... <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of, but I mean, it's... Like, we're still Son of a bitch took my spot. You <laughs> started it, though, Vince, by not saying what episode it was. I said yes, it before. Did. Yeah, dude, you're not paying attention. about the uh, Happy Birthday America. Happy oh, America. Fuck yeah. Oh, oh, boy. I must have been taking a drink. <laughs> All right, let's get the bus back on the road. Uh, I'm Chris Renisma. I'm back. I had to jump in before they got Tom to, to fill in for me and become a, a permanent addition. Oh, I saved nice. you, Tom. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm I could never be as grizzly as you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. Uh-huh. Excuse me, man in the right channel. What would you, you say your name was? Oh, da- uh, was that... <laughs> David I'm on a phone. I can barely hear anybody. And of course, I am the one, the only Bobby Farrell. No, you're not Bobby Farrell. You are. Okay, Rocket Racer. Cute as a button. Jason Wood back in the house. So we're all here. And like I said, we have a guest, Tom Fowler. So we're all happy. And little do you know, Tom will be a regular member after this episode. <laughs> Every week, you'll be able to hear Tom Fowler here. I'll be here, and the, and, and the entire thing will ground to will grind to a halt within three weeks. <laughs> so you'll fit right in, nice. So it shouldn't be any different yeah. than it probably already is. Yeah, well, there you go. So Chris is back, all rested after the Windy City show. I Hi hope. guys, I missed you. Hey. I missed up, Chris. Hey, Wood. Georgia says hi, and that she misses you. Oh, it's my baby. <laughs> oh, she loves you. Yeah. She actually, I, I, I think you're all, you're, you're all good in the hood now. You can come back nice. anytime in Georgia. Georgia is, would be all acclimated to you. She, she, even though I was listening to last week's episode and it was cracking me up because I was thinking about what, what the second, the second morning you were here and, uh, and you told me that, uh, that you like kind of woke up in the, in the middle of the night and you didn't open your eyes, but you like felt the, 
the puppy breath <laughs> on your face, long. and you're like, this dog is like an inch from my face and and is going to, to, to rip my nose off if I move. And that, that little thought uh, of you quivering in fear in the middle of the night <laughs> with my little 35-pound, three-legged dog just staring at you, that brings joy to my life every time I think about it. So well, I decided bring... that Georgia is the earthly incarnation of Cerberus. Nice. <laughs> could be. Could was, be. Was, she like, was she like standing at the end of your bed or... Uh, well, he was my bed being the couch. At you just staring yeah. into your soul. Well, <laughs> my bed was Chris's couch, so yeah. So she oh. was like right there in his face. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, th- thanks again for coming out, man. It, I had a great time with you, and, I, and you did an awesome job of recapping all the Windy City stuff. But uh, I wanted to just take a second and thank everyone that was a part of it and came out to the show, and the people that even you know if they weren't able to come out, that sent all the the good tidings and and good messages our way. It was a, it was an Awesome weekend, had a blast, and uh, and and thanks for coming out, man. We had a good time. Oh, it was a great time. You got it, buddy. See you next uh, year. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Where hopefully we'll have Tom Fowler as a guest. As long as it doesn't uh, coincide with any other show. That's right. Again. You were uh, you were at the the Montreal. Uh, what yeah, I was at the Montreal Comic Con. How was that? It was nice. It was it was really nice. I think I uh, I mean uh, the guest list wasn't quite as enormous. But uh, it was a good. I mean, it's 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 a small show that gets bigger every year, and it's kind of a. It's been kind of a steep learning curve for Oscar, who's the guy that puts it on. But you know, every year it gets better, and he gets better at doing it. Um, and uh, you know, the guest list gets better every year as well. Um, last year, uh, the big guests were um, uh, Howard Chaikin and Herb Trimpey, and uh, oh God, um, I'm going to completely forget Carrie Nord. And a few other, you know, kind of local guys and Daily Glisham's there every year because he lives, uh, Ottawa is like two hours from Montreal and, uh, Dale lives like literally right between the two. So this year the guests were, the big, big guests, uh, were, um, Mike Alred and Darwin Cook. And yourself, of course. Yeah, and, and, and of course Tom Fowler. Um, but no, I mean, there's, it, it's good. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's a good show. Um, I typically make more money at these things, like doing sketches and stuff. And whereas in Toronto, there's like two or three guys that I can always kind of count on to buy sketches. In Montreal, there's like seven or eight, uh, and they'll keep coming back <laughs> for more. Um, so uh, I did, I did okay <laughs> on, on the weekend. Wow. If you come Windy City next year, I think you'll dig it because it was. You can ask Wood. It was like a freaking sketchathon in that room. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I was really, I desperately wanted to go, but I, it's it's one of those things that uh, for especially a show. I mean, it cost me literally. I looked into it because I looked I looked at like airfare and stuff like that, and it would have cost me like eight hundred bucks just to fly there and back. Yikes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's one of those things that I always and I always do this with like literally everything I do is it's kind of like cost benefit analysis kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That if I'm going to go to a show. Um, that is primarily kind of a work show. I need to be able to not just make my money back, but make some kind of profit to justify doing it. Because you know, I've got to, I've got to come back and look my kid in the eye and say, "Well, craft dinner again," you know. <laughs> so, do you ever do any of the European shows? Because we talked to um, um, Sal Abinati, 
who uh, it goes across the pond once a year, I think, at least to some show in Italy. He says he loves the shows there, that the vibe is great, but um, that you, you don't charge for sketches. It's not part of the culture over there. Yeah, it's a different, it's a very different thing. I did, uh, I did Angoulême one year um, because uh, I used to have a Swiss publisher. I say used to. And, uh, 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 so he brought me over, and that's the thing, is when you're, when you're at a European show, um, you're typically, you're there kind of on the, the, you know, suckling at the teat of your publisher, uh, who's flying you over and putting you up, uh, and you have, you essentially become this, like, indentured slave at the table. Uh, and you're really just there to sell books. And, uh, when somebody buys a book, you put the sketch in the book, and that's you know that's that's kind of the contract between everybody involved. And occasionally you can slink off for half an hour and get lunch or something like that. Wow. Um, but uh, I'm hoping against hope that we get some kind of uh, on mysterious gets we're able to get it reprinted in Europe or something like that, so that uh, we'll get some invites to shows like that. And i.e. the show will put us up, and uh, it's still you know free sketches and you know this that and the other thing, but. It's free sketches in Europe, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is different than like free sketches in Pittsburgh, you know. Yeah, yeah. beats so. free sketches in Hoboken. <laughs> exactly. Wood just reminded me. Tom, what are you drinking? We got our drink roll call. Oh, I'm sorry. I see. I really do disrupt the show, should don't I? I have completely no, fucked this show. We should just completely start over. No, I am drinking. Um, I am drinking scotch. All that right. is what I am drinking. I'm <laughs> I'm drinking uh, Johnny Walker Red Label. Mister B. Are you, are you rocking the pex, the peppy, the peppy max? I'm drinking the peppy max. Yes, I am. Peppy max. That's, you know what? I like that so much. That's the new, it's new word. Peppy max. Oh, I'm so rusty. Uh, David, how about you? That's funny. Uh, Gato Negro Cabernet Merlot. Alrighty. And Mr. Wood. Last week as well, right? No. No, no, no. It was, uh, this is from uh, this is from Chile. That was an Australian wine last week. Ah, there you go. C'est, c'est bon. Well, in honor of our Knucklehead guest, uh, I am drinking uh, for the second time in the show's history a Wolverine because he's my favorite Knucklehead. Uh, and for, the, for those who forget, a Wolverine is uh, a bottle of beer, dark beer in this case, uh, with a little bit of Bacardi Limon. So it's wow. got the uh, uh, the classic Wolverine short and hairy. I thought you just bored a, he- a hole in the head of a Wolverine. <laughs> drinking its, you were just drinking its essence, like in Dune or something. It's like the faces of death when they were killing the monkeys and sticking straws in their brains. Muadib. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I was just going to say, I bet Canadians just love being called knuckleheads. Don't they? Oh, we love it. I, I figured I would jump into the anti-Canadian shtick before Chris totally takes it over, like oh, did when, uh, when Jeff was here, and uh, and I thought that Jeff would never talk to us again. <laughs> well, it's because he was drinking Canadian whiskey. I mean, come on. Uh, good. Well, before we get yeah. too carried away, let's take care of some bidness. Or this I can episode, tell you what I'm drinking. Or you could. Which <laughs> we'll, how, about, how about we'll do a little, uh, little suspenseful <laughs> thing? Episode 76, can, folks. You can tell us after <laughs> the after the promo. Yeah. Okay. Find out what Chris is drinking after this important message. This episode of 11 O'Clock Comics is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can get all your favorite comic books, all your funny books, at significant discounts. 35, 45, 50, up to 75% off certain titles every stinking month at DCBS. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. Now, dun dun dun, Chris, what are you drinking? 
<laughs> well, thank you, Vince. Um, I was I was oh so lucky as to have one of my friends, uh, or two of my friends, I guess, celebrate their anniversary in Wisconsin this past weekend. And they went up to New Glarus, Wisconsin. And anyone in the Midwest knows that New Glarus is the home of the New Glarus Brewing Company, where they make the, the wonderful Spotted Cow beer and it is only served in wisconsin they don't export it but it is wildly popular in in chicago in certain circles and so if you ever know anyone that is going to wisconsin you always ask them to bring back a case of of spotted cow and there are even uh, apparently a couple black market bars in the area that serve spotted cow under a different label they relabel the bottles i think tom caters who is a wisconsinite uh knows of such bars so i am having a uh, a, a wonderful spotted cow ale from new glarus is it uh, dark beer? No, no, it's an ale. It's exactly what kind of it's tasty, is what it is. No, it's just it's just it's just an ale. This is Daryl. Um, you know, Vince, you my dude, but you 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 really pissed me off listening to the last episode when you was talking shit about Storm and the shit you said about DC Comics. Now, first with DC Comics, I don't know what the fuck you smoking or what's in the the, the uh, Pepsi Max that you're drinking, but to say that Disney, and that uh, DC Comics doesn't have any real marketable characters like Marvel does, that's bullshit. If anything, DC characters are more known to people than Marvel characters are, but I do give it to Kasada and company. They do a better job of marketing their their characters and their books. And I think that is because they do a better job of marketing their talent. Now, DC, you can I can go anywhere and say to a kid, Green Lantern, he knows what I'm talking about. Green Arrow, he knows what I'm talking about. Wonder Woman, who doesn't know who Wonder Woman is? Superman, forget it. It's not all you, you please. People know more Superman than they do the entire um, Marvel's catalog. Aquaman—that's a well-known character. They could do, all those properties can be done, and the Flash can be done well. And Hawkman. I mean, it, okay, I, they do the cooler thing in Marvel. Supposedly, they have the street cred, and they do the cooler shit. But DC is, is kicking ass. Also, they just don't have to talk. They just don't talk about it twenty four seven about how better they are than somebody else. Marvel's good at that. But to come out and say some shit like that's crazy. Vince. I don't. I don't know what the hell is wrong with you. I still love you, but you you lost your damn mind. Now for Storm. You, you. First of all, you don't like a strong black woman who is one of the most powerful women, woman, person in the Marvel universe. She controls the entire weather. She can control weather. She can control the snow, the sleet, 
the storms, the electromagnetic spectrum. She can see that because of her mutant abilities. She also has the skill, the fighting skills that are as good as Wolverine. She's a street fighter. She could take Lily White, uh, Kitty Pride, and kick her, kick her ass. This woman has more experience in fighting. I, I, I mean, the only time you like her is when she's a thief. What's, what's up with that? You only like Storm when she's a thief. I'm not understanding that. You like her when she's a criminal, Vince. What, what are you trying to tell me? It's just crazy talk. But Storm can act like that shit don't stink because it don't. She's been at least she led the X Men during the most horrific times when they had no base. They had no Xavier to help them. They had no no support system. They were out there assed out. When they were in Australia. She came in there and she led them. She led them when she had no powers. Let Kitty Pryde do something like that. Not that I don't like Kitty Pryde, because I do. But she ain't shit compared to Storm. Storm has been there. He, she has the history. But you need to know some of that. So that's my ranting and raving, but you, you, you drove me crazy with that. But, but you know what? I'm I'm done for right now. I'll go to the boards and add some more shit to it. But other than that, fuck it then. That's that's done. I'm not even gonna go ranting no more about this shit. Later. Now let's rape Tom's mind. Let's get some information out of this man. Oh, uh, you do it. Okay, sure. <laughs> You're about ready to get school raped. How old are you, Tom? I am 35. Oh, oh represent. Damn. See, you Damn. know what? I reread Mysterious in preparation for this little event here. Knowing that you're 35 years old makes me hate you even more. What, why? Why, why? Why? Because you you have a wisdom to your line, your art in general, that you should be around 65, 66 years old, have been through the publishing trenches for tons of years to be able to draw this well. And the well, fact you know that you're that only is. 35 kills me. <laughs> well, I, to a large degree, that's got uh, that's got as much to do with anything else as the fact that. I, uh, up until the age of, I don't know, like 11 or so, I didn't really read comics all that much. Okay. I, you know, I'd go, I was obsessed, I loved them, but, you know, I'd go and get them at the comic book, uh, at the, like a corner store or something like that. Uh, and just really every so often, cause, uh, my mom had this, lo- this rule, uh, that my brother and I couldn't buy comic books that had the words to be continued at the end. <laughs> she she was convinced we'd become like completely obsessed. Now it didn't stop them from buying us like uh, aesthetics and Tintin and things like that because as far as they were concerned they weren't comics. Mm-hmm. They were like, well they're not, you know, they're not floppy and crappy and full of superheroes, you know, skull raping each other. It's a funny funny little Frenchman running around. So, you know, all of it's informed by that kind of stuff. And, like, the stuff that we had around the house were, like, old punch magazines and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ronald Searle books. And, you know, just all this, like, other, you know, English English cartooning stuff or, 
uh, and, and that and, you know, old, like, turn-of-the-century first editions of uh, Arthur Rackham and um, I'm losing his name completely now, Heath, Heath Robinson, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So that's what I was looking at when I was a kid, right? So it, it, it and then, you know, as I got older, I got, you know, we, we moved to Ottawa, and hey, look, there's a place where you can buy, there's a store where you can buy comic books, <laughs> and that's all they sell. So I got kind of super obsessed with that. My mom was right. Uh, but uh, uh, and then beyond that, I uh, I got a little bit older, and then all of a sudden I realized all the stuff that I actually really loved, and and it was almost like having like a race memory or something like that. That I, I realized, you know, when I came I came into contact with some uh, Jack Davis originals from like Tales of the Crypt or something like that, and all of a sudden it shot me back to reading like Mad Magazine and 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 stuff like that, and having seen Jack Davis my entire life and not really associating it with an actual guy having drawn it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah, it's one sure. of those things that you it's 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 just ingrained in you that you just see Jack Davis from birth kind of thing. And all of a sudden that just shot me back to, you know, E C comics and any kind of E C anything that I could find. So I'm I'm essentially like all of my I'm going the long way around to say that you know all of my kind of uh, building blocks for uh, for drawing are essentially 70 years old to begin with. <laughs> you know, well, you can um, definitely feel the spirit of Davis in your work. It's it's really. I would hope so. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. But you could take Mysterious, take the cover off it, and put a cover of an EC comic on it, and and, and it just it just feels right. It, it and it has a European feel to it too. That was that was absolutely it, and yeah. and I I when I was the way I was kind of approaching it was basically uh, I mean I can't I can't shake the goofy out of my style no matter how I try um, but so I was approaching it kind of like okay I've got Jack Davis in this hand and I have Albert Uderzo in this in the other and Albert Uderzo is the guy who drew, who he was the co-creator and artist on uh, Asterix uh, the right. Gaul which some in your audience may have heard of i don't know uh, how it's a it's a french it's a french book but uh, it's been going it's actually celebrating its 50th anniversary this year mm-hmm. um, but it's just absolutely freaking amazing stuff and uderzo did a whole bunch of other stuff as well and it's all it's all uh, vince you'd love it i mean it's it's oh, I it's have all a lot very of it. much yeah yeah it's it's absolutely fucking gorgeous stuff but those are the two like literally those were the two points that i was hitting and not necessarily his Asterix work, but um, he had another series that he that was called uh, that he did with Charlie A. Um, that was called Tongi and La Valdeur, which was uh, a couple of French pilots. And he's he has like a more realistic style that he uses for that, but it's still this incredibly sumptuous line that you know it's like everything is there it's just it, the volume is just is it, you know everything just feels solid and three-dimensional and you you feel like you could jump through any panel window and just walk around in there you know and uh, the, the that's kind of what i aspire to every time i sit down at the drawing table and uh the fact that wildstorm basically said to jeff and i do whatever you want <laughs> meant that I could do that um, and not have to worry about somebody saying like, oh god, that guy's nose is huge. <laughs> I love the big nose. That's another yeah. thing, but I'll let the other guys ask you a question, but when I said I hated you, that comes mm-hmm. from envy because as an illustrator, I wish I could kick stuff out like Mysterious. It feels right to my eyes. It's yeah. just gorgeous. 
No, you, you, well, you, you, de- you definitely draw beyond your years. That's, yeah, I, you. I, I would have assumed that you were, you know, from the artwork, I would assume that you were, that you were older. Um, I'm your senior. That freaks me out by a year. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's hardly a senior. Yeah, you know, maybe a contemporary. I don't know. What, what yeah. I, um, yeah, I would have graduated a year be, before you, so that's, uh, you know, that's always a look at it. But, uh, one of my, one of my buddies here in Chicago is a guy that, uh, artistically, I, I think about you guys, um, kind of in the same school because he's so incredibly influenced by, by EC and, and, and that entire troupe of, of ours, and that's Hillary Barda. Have you ever had oh, yeah, uh, yeah. a chance? Have you, have you, do you know Hill? I have only we've we're, we've kind of become um, kind of online in each other's comment sections buddies. Shortly, actually, uh, less than a month ago, uh, just out of the blue, he he commented on my uh, on my blog, and I as I often do, I you know traced back the little thing that said Surly Hack, and I was like, holy shit, it's Hillary Barra. That's um, <laughs> I'm a I'm a gigantic fan. I've been a huge fan of Hillary's for years. And so it's one of those little things like it's 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 like the one and only reason aside from porn that I love the internet yeah. is that <laughs> you, you you're actually able to in some virtual fashion kind of interact with these guys that you've known about forever and you're like holy shit that guy see my work holy shit that guy likes my work you know yeah cuz I had the same thing happened with Peter Desev a while back I got a piece into Spectrum a couple years ago or I got two pieces in Spectrum a couple years ago and uh, just this last year, the uh, call for entries poster that Peter did looked rather a lot like one of the pieces that I'd put in Spectrum a couple of years before. Um, and I'm not obviously I'm not accusing Peter of anything because I can't. It's just like it's the cultural id, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's it was one of those concepts that people are going to bang away at here and there in one way or another throughout the centuries. In fact, somebody else on the, in the comment section mentioned that Charles Adams had actually done it before either of us. But Peter, to his credit, actually came into the comment section and, and said, like, dude, I had no idea. <laughs> so, so sorry. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and he was, yeah, he was just a total gentleman about it. And it was, it was really cool. And I actually got to, I was just in New York um, a little under a month ago, and I got to meet him. And he was, he was a really sweet guy. He was hammered out of his skull, but he was a really sweet guy. <laughs> And I don't know if he remembers any of our conversation, but he was very nice about it. So it's cool meeting the guys that you look up to, or, or you know, it's one of the things with the podcast. And I think all the other guys can probably chime in here. That has been so amazing about it is that everyone that we've met has just been amazing, and this industry is just filled with awesome guys and gals. Oh yeah, they're, they're yeah. Uh, it's it's. I find. I mean. The the sweetheart to douchebag ratio um, is is actually pretty good in comics. Uh, however, the the douchebags are pretty notable uh, <laughs> that you would think it would swing in the other direction. But it it's actually most of the guys I, I know, like most of the other cartoonists and writers, like the actual creative types in in, uh, in comics that I've met over the years have just been absolutely incredible. I mean, even the ones that you hear that you're terrified of meeting, like you're absolutely terrified of meeting because you've heard they, you know, don't suffer, suffer fools or, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they take your head off or eat babies or something like that. Like you I meet them and you find it. <laughs> I am uh, absolutely petrified every time I bump into Brian Azzarillo. Last time I talked with him, absolute sweetheart. It's just, he's a guy that petrifies me, though. Yeah, no, he's, well, he's an intense little guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, 
He's got like his mustache is like one of those Samson things. It's it's uh, you know when he if if he ever loses that if if anybody ever cuts that mustache he's just going to be like a a greeter at Walmart or something. <laughs> hey guys, just wanted to say that Windy City Comic Con was awesome. Special thanks, of course, go out to Chris, Sal, and Tom, and for all the other people that worked so hard to make it such a good show. It was awesome meeting Wood in person, and uh, of course David and Vince were missed. But great show, really uh, looking forward to next year. Hopefully everyone will be around for that. For that. So, talk to you later, guys. Keep up the good work. Later. Four or five years ago, I met uh, Howard Chaikin at a show in Toronto, and. I'd been given to understand for years that, you know, like, oh, God, chicken will kill you, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I I was on a panel with him, and uh, there were like seven. This was around the time I was just starting working on Caper. And uh, there were like seven other people on the panel, but Howard and I were essentially the only two people talking. And Howard kept looking over because, like, who's this guy? <laughs> like, who the hell is that guy who's who's talking? Why is he talking? And uh, uh, so, you know, after the panel wrapped up, I kind of wandered over his over to his table and, you know, plunked down a bunch of copies of of the first, I think, two issues of Caper or whatever it was, and did the whole hi, hi, Mister Chaikin. I just wanted you to know who who you were talking to, and uh, you don't have to look at it now, but I'll just leave this here and leave you alone. And uh, ran off, and then uh, like an hour later, I had to go back and get it because somebody else needed to look at it. And um, I grabbed it back. You know, I, I went over to him. I was like, I'm sorry, I need to get this back from you. And he was like, you know what? Normally when people give me stuff like this, I cringe. But this stuff is really good. Oh, and it was just like, it was incredible, you know? It's been like fantastic ever since because like two years later I'm in San Diego have uh, it, like uh, it's on a I'm in Artist Alley and it's like a Friday and the the con malaise has has set in and I I can't remember if that's a year that some asshole with a didgeridoo set up right next to me or something like that I had to listen to some jackass with a didgeridoo <laughs> and they sound you know when you're watching a movie that's set in Australia and you hear them and they're like five miles away and you get the oh it's Australia it doesn't sound like that when it's five feet away it sounds, it sounds really awful when it's five feet away it sounds it sounds like there's just this long sustained fart that just goes on for hours pretty much you can huddle around it for warmth you know it's that bad but anyway yeah so chicken's walking by like he's 20 feet away and he walks by he's with his agent or something and uh, all of a sudden he does a double take does it makes a beeline over to the table and goes fowler tell me you have a career and it's just like, it's those little moments, awesome. you know, you're just like, oh, my God, I love you, man. That's awesome. It's funny you should yeah. bring that up about Shaken, because I have heard the stories as well. And this year at Wizard World Chicago, Shaken was in the best mood I've ever seen him in. Oh, yeah. yeah he, he, a, was, he was happy. and sweetheart. Keith Giffen is in the same camp. I heard horror stories about Keith Giffen, and when I finally met him, the guy was a prince. Maybe it's that that renewed careers that both of them have because Chaikin and and Giffen are doing a lot of work lately. Yeah, but well, Chaikin never know. stopped working. He just stopped working in comics. 
Yeah, Ch- I mean, Chaykin, was- Chaykin had a pretty good career in, in, in L.A. going in, in TV and film and <laughs> illustration and stuff. But, I mean, the thing is, uh, with Chaykin, and I, I'm guessing it's probably the same thing with, with, with Giffen, but I know with Chaykin, is the, the great thing about him is that whenever you talk to him, aside from the fact he's just hysterically funny, he tells you the truth. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Howard is not about diplomacy. You know, Howard is... Howard's not going to shine you on. He will he will look you square in the eye and basically tell you everything he feels. And you always know that whatever he's telling you is the Bible honest truth, at least as he sees it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something I absolutely I adore because uh as much as there are a lot of nice people in comics, there are as I've mentioned a lot of douchebags. And you tend to get these like incredibly overly diplomatic, bullshitty answers to just about any question you ask most of the time. So you get, you, you get to a point where you don't know if you can actually trust what anyone says. And that's the thing with Howard. He, he's telling the truth, like 24-7. He's telling the truth. And you just need to be able to kind of deal with that. <laughs> and then you're fine, you know? But he's just, he's a really, really nice guy. He's, he's, I think he's gotten to a point where he, he kind of knows he's one of the elder statesmen of comics, but he can still kick ass as much as any of the, you know, the, the young things kind of thing. And, uh, I'm still enjoying the hell out of his work, you know, so, um, hell, I want to work with him. So speaking of, of douchebags in the industry, can you tell us? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I can't. Next year in Windy City, if I'm there, get me drunk. I will go on and on. You will not be able to stop me. <laughs> but okay. I can't. I've, I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of come to a point where I've like realized I really can't publicly out people as douchebags anymore because it's <laughs> it's hurting me more than it's hurting them. Yeah, that, that hits the back pocket, man. Tom, one word of yeah. advice though: if if you do come to Chicago next year for Windy City, and I hope you do, if at some point in a long drunken night of regaling us with stories, Chris says to you, "Hey, you hungry? Let's go have a slinger." Politely decline for your own intestinal fortitude. Oh boy! Oh, is that man. like what is it? Is that like a tie hooker? What is that? <laughs> that would probably be better for your intestines than a slinger. It's, uh, <laughs> two, two, two hamburger patties, <laughs> chili, two fried eggs. What else was on this? Hash browns. Hash browns. Onions. Yes. Slices. Yeah. And that's like one thing. It's just one big pile of mess of food. Jason, you ate that? Why why don't they just call it a sleuth skate? Oh, dude, you get a certificate if you eat the whole thing. And and Jason can complain, but he was just like, like, what, three o'clock in the morning, you're just like, dude, this is good. And I said it was, it's perfect. It's it's like the ultimate junk, drunk food. It, uh, it was perfect drunk food, but yeah. Well, we know how to do unhealthy food here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they serve Uh, pizza in a bucket. How could you go wrong? I don't know. Yeah. There's, 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 there's no poutine in Chicago that I know of. That's uh, that's no. the mother of unhealthy food right there, and it's, it's glorious. Yeah, it is poutine. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, no, there's no Canadians here, so no. It's a it's a Quebec it's a Quebec thing uh, for the most part, and the further away you get from Quebec, the worse it is. Uh-huh. Um, Ottawa being across the river from Quebec, it's it's just perfect. And if you ever if like if you're ever up north. And you're in a restaurant and they serve poutine, don't get it. If you're out on the street and you see like a chip wagon or something, get it there. Poutine is essentially, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm doing the worst. I'm doing that like retarded ass Canadian thing. It's like, well, have you heard about this from Canada? Um, <laughs> which I fucking hate. I'm going to stop doing it as soon as I've described this wonderfully awful, horrible, 
glorious thing. Um, it's uh, thick-cut French fries with cheese curds and beef gravy. That okay, so awesome. it's, it's like fries with gravy, then. We have that, too. Yeah, well, and, and cheese curds. And it's glorious. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing. That sounds awesome. And I gained about 10 pounds a couple of years ago because uh, Monique and I went through a very, very, very big and unhealthy poutine binge <laughs> for quite a while because there was a really, really good chip wagon on our corner. Oh, it sounds Go like away. That. I want to be able to hold, I want to be able to play with my kids. Go away. Yeah, well, I'll have to tell you about the elotes a little bit later that I, that I forced. Oh, that's to right. Jesus, I forgot about those. Windy <laughs> uh, City is not a place to, all right, uh, all right. to, to, to compare to the, to the, to, and it's poutine. How is that? P- poutine? Poutine. 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 Um, there's this thing. That you I'm beginning to think the name Windy City is actually a, a double entendre. <laughs> there's the stuff that you can get from Chicago street vendors. There are uh, Mexican um, street vendors here in the city called elotes, and it is uh, served in a cup. And they'll they'll take a uh, uh, cob of corn and they'll they'll shave all the corn off of it, put it in the cup, and mix it with mayonnaise. Parmesan cheese, uh, hot sauce, and cayenne pepper, and mix that together, and it is it is awesome. Okay. I'm there. <laughs> you can ask, ask Jason. It's like something that uh, mysterious would conjure up and force someone to eat. I think. Doesn't make a oh, hell of a lubricant. So, it is so yeah. good, though. It is so good. No, it's too spicy for a lubricant, Vince. Mm, I don't know about that. You don't want that anywhere near your balls. Let's get back it to mysterious. It on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, this is Whitehead Customs, the Maskatron. I just finished finished up uh, listening to the last episode. It was great. Glad to have everybody back. Glad to hear everybody excited about new things. Uh, the whole Marvel Disney thing. Jason did a amazing job on that. I actually understood basically ninety percent of everything you said. I guess so. So like I can talk about it and. People might understand what I'm what I'm talking about. It had something interesting happen to me uh, this week. I was on uh, MySpace. Uh, I put my custom action figures on there, and a guy by the name of Joe Rubenstein uh, commented on one of my figures and told me that he liked it. And uh, I, you know, I thanked him for telling me he liked my action figure and asked him, you know, was he, you know, in comic books? And he said he did a few things. I happened to look him up, and I probably own about 400 comic books that he's done. And over the years, I've just, I guess, bypassed looking at his name under, you know, inkers. This guy is a, an awesome inker. I've, like I said, I've, I've probably got four or 500 books. First comic book I ever read was inked by him, and I never noticed him. And uh, I noticed y- y'all said inkers are somebody that's very well overlooked. But anyway, the guy... Uh, he ended up sending me two prints uh, that I thought was awesome of a zombie Captain America and a Bizarro. And he's just a hell of a guy. If everybody else in comics is as nice as this guy. It's just good. That's all I can say about it. I was very pleased with the, the prints he sent me, and uh, he's a very nice guy. I just wanted to share that with everybody. Uh, everybody have a great week. Hey, guys. Whitehead Customs. Uh, just finished listening to the last episode. Like I say, it was great as usual. Missed the guy that wasn't there, of course. Happy birthday to the other guy. Hey, I can't remember your name, but I'm kind of sick right now, so I'm sure you'll let it slide. 
birthday. It was David that had the birthday. Um, just some things I'd like to point out. Yeah, we're talking about, um, you know, the new DC Entertainment deal and how Marvel's got them beat with the, the great movies. Um, I just don't see where you're coming from from that because really the only great movie they've had was the Spider-Man films and, of course, Iron Man, which was absolutely amazing. But the last two films that was put out by Marvel was Iron Man and The, the Punisher, and The Punisher was a flop. The last two films put out by DC was The Dark Knight, which is second highest grossing film of all time, and Watchmen, which uh, wasn't a, a failure. As a matter of fact, it's doing great on the DVD sales. I just don't see how, how you know Marvel's that far ahead. Uh, DC's put out three pretty decent animated films, the last three that they've put out. Another thing about the, the merging of Disney and Marvel, I was... I can't remember, maybe Jason would know, but uh, does Disney not own some of the rights to Mattel? Maybe we can end up getting ROM the Space Knight back. I'd love to have an essential ROM or a ROM omnibus, something like that. That would be great, something I'm really looking forward to. I've almost got my ROM run complete, but I'd definitely like to have an essential ROM. I'd just like to tell one good find that I had. Uh, I was on eBay. I sell on eBay. Mississippi Yard sells my username. But I was on there looking around for some books, and I ended up getting 66 um, editions of Essentials for $198. Uh, and I don't know if maybe y'all could shed some light on this, but I went to Books A Million, and they only had three. I went to three different Books A Million in Alabama and Mississippi, and they hardly have any of the DC showcase in the Marvel Essentials, and I was just wondering if they're out of print now and what's going on with that. And this is another great show, guys. Can't wait to next week. Read something good. Excelsior! You're credited as co-creator. Yeah. i got to wonder, how much of this is Parker and how much of this is yourself? Because you drop a couple of terms before like the collective unconscious, and you were talking the language, and I'm wondering, how much input did you have on this? Oh, uh, a very big amount. The story mysteries basically goes back, way back, um, to two different things. Jeff had put together, uh, I think, a pitch for Doctor Strange that I don't know if anybody ever looked at, that it was just, I think, just kind of put the fire in his belly. And at the same time, uh, every so often, editors uh, at various companies will send out like these big kind of mass emails to writers and say that say, pitch me something, pitch the fuck out of me. <laughs> and um, so uh, Jeff pitched, I think it was a Doctor 13 thing, oh. which, which was, cause Doctor, is, no, wait a minute. Doctor Thirteen. He's the, he's the one that like it's it's him during the day and it's Rose during the night or whatever it was. Was that Doctor Thirteen or was that? Am I thinking of somebody else? I'm thinking nice. of the trench coat brigade guy. No, no, not Rose. I mean, it's an old character. This is. I remember the who's who listing. I'm trying to think about what other. What, what yeah, other it was just. I mean, it was a guy with a hat and a trench coat. Right. Uh, but he was uh, he was like a paranormal investigator kind of thing. But he had uh, his he had a love whose name was Rose, but they could never be together. Uh, so during the day, it was like Lady Hawk. Uh, during the day, one of them would would inhabit the world, and during the night, the other one would inhabit the world, kind of thing. And I don't know if it's Doctor Thirteen or not. It was it, it it may have been something else. But anyway, 
so Jeff kind of wrote up something for that, and uh, that's kind of where Delphi came into things, because he liked the idea of, of that kind of a magician with a female foil. And then that went nowhere. And I guess a couple of years later, uh, Ben Abernathy sent out the pitch the fuck out of me email. And so Jeff responded, and he said, well, I've got this, and he kind of retooled that that proposal and uh i guess my name came up pretty early in the uh uh in the running because at the same time jeff was uh jeff was putting together uh 1602 spider-man or something like that and um he was trying to get me on that and literally <laughs> uh, at something like 602 i get my rejection email from marvel and at 6.03, I got the email from, from Ben at Wildstorm saying, hey, you want to do this thing with Jeff? And uh, Jeff sent me the early kind of the bare-bones proposal, and basically as we started working on the character designs and things like that, inevitably what winds up happening is you start saying things like, well, what if, you know, oh, well, how about this? And, you know, you know what would be great is, and um, so a lot of those kinds of, I mean, we were already kind of on the same, uh, we were kind of operating in the same mental space, uh, when we when we started, um, but uh, 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 oh, Jesus Christ! Sorry, I'm moving through my house and I just tripped over my dog. Um, <laughs> the uh, my wife is my wife is vacated the basement, so I can come down and sit in a comfy chair. Uh, 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 yeah, so I mean, as we were going along, you know, I'm I'm developing what the characters look like, and as we're developing what they look like, we're kind of developing what they feel like. You know, we're kind of figuring out, okay. You know, mysterious. I love. Uh, he was, and he was throwing things at me like I, it, it should be like uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Rush. You know, it should be that kind of guy. And I was looking at pictures of Jeffrey Rush online, and I, I kept finding these pictures of him doing like red carpet stuff, where it's like Jeffrey Rush in like a three thousand dollars suit. But it's Jeffrey Rush, so it looks like absolute hell. Like, it, it looks like somebody got him liquored up and then dragged him backwards through a hedge and then put him. He looked like a hobo in a suit, you know? And I, I just, I love that, that kind of like haggard, but looking like a million, you know, but in like a million dollar suit kind of thing, and thinking you look amazing. And so that kind of influenced the character a little bit. And there were, you know, things like, uh, when Jeff kind of first proposed the, the series to me, he was saying like, hey, have you read Dirk Gently, the, the, the other Douglas Adams series? And I was like, actually, I'm reading it right now. So there was that, you know, there was the idea of we, we threw a lot of Dirk Gently into it. And, and that brought in Doctor Who because we started talking about how Douglas Adams was also the script editor on Doctor Who for like three years during the, the Tom Baker years. Um, so that scarf that he wears is actually kind of a, an allusion to uh, both of our favorite part of Doctor Who history, you know. Um, so there was a lot of, like, you build, basically, as, you, as you're building up the characters visually, you're loading these kind of affectations onto them, and from that, you're, you're learning, it's kind of like when an actor kind of learns their role through putting on the costume kind of thing, and that's how things kind of kept going, and as we, and, you know, and then when the script started rolling in, you know, the script for number one comes along, and I'm reading it, and I feel like there's a bit, you know, I, I look at it, and I'm like, no, this actually feels like it could be subtext for something further on. Like, what if we did this? And by issue number three, that's a part of it, you know. Um, so as as we were working on the book, we just kind of go back and back and forth about, like, what what felt right, you know. And, and we, got, we got a really great kind of grasp on these characters. We really just started to love them. And they, it sounds cliche, but they really took on, like, a, a life of their own. 
and uh, we just let them do that. We kind of let them do whatever the hell they wanted. <laughs> and ultimately, like, I, and the thing is, too, it's like when I was reading the scripts, Jeff didn't, I, didn't, I never got a, um, and this is the, Jeff is the only writer I'll ever let do this, is uh, I never got, like, an, an outline of the entire series. I'd get, you know, little snippets of what might come up from Jeff on the phone, but he never, he never sent me, like, okay, here's an outline of, of issues one through six. Well, wow, that's and, incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so as I'm reading the scripts, it was like I was reading the book. With Jeff being not just a writer, but, uh, but an artist, because well, he drew the inner man, right? Yeah. Do you find as an artist with him having, having an art background and having drawn his own series, does that help you as an artist or do, do you, do you think that he communicates what he wants as, as the writer a little bit better, um, than, than maybe a writer that doesn't normally do art? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the thing is, I mean, there's a, uh, there can be a double-edged sword with that because you can get writer artists that go to, just writing that kind of over art direct everything so they you know they, they want to tell you every little thing that's in the panel and then you have just like pure writers who will do exactly the same thing and not understand that you can't put all that thing all that in jeff was uh jeff was uh the best way i was i was kind of describe this is that jeff being a writer who can draw and uh, me being uh, an artist who knows that I'm an artist who can write meant that there was never there was never any ego involved. So we were able to, you know, Jeff would basically give me a script that said, "Okay, I need this, 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 and this." And um, they weren't they weren't completely full scripts. They were, uh, I mean, all the dialogue was there, but it was it was kind of like. Okay, it needs to be a room, and these elements need to be there. But any shot that works for this, any shot that works for that, and I could take that and say, okay, that's great. But uh, what if we change this to this? And what if? And I could pitch him lines of dialogue, kind of thing. And if ever there were there was something that he'd put, he'd throw into the script that seems overly complicated um, to draw, and I'd, I'd have a really hard time kind of figuring, you know, getting my head around, like, well, how the hell do I do that? I knew that I could just email Jeff, and he could doodle up a sketch. Like, when the first time I go to the Mysterium, I was lost. I was like, I don't know what you want. I don't, I can't imagine. What do you see this place looking like? Because I'm lost. I can't, I can't, you know, I, I could go a, di- a dozen different directions, but I don't want to. Like, what do you see? And he literally, he just took like five minutes and he doodled up a little sketch of like bookshelves and a, a you know, a glass dome ceiling and, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, great. I can do that. And we went from there. And it, it was a really great kind of, uh, I feel like a douche symbiotic relationship. But yeah, it was a very kind of symbiotic kind of, it was very organic. Like the whole, the whole working relationship was basically everything and this is the other thing this is the other thing that really worked on the book is that the communication between jeff and i and ben was amazing we we kind of i stipulated something right at the very beginning that if any of us has anything to say it goes to all of us so regardless of whether or not i'm having a conversation with jeff i cc ben if ben is talking to jeff he cc's me that way everybody's in a loop everybody has a say nobody's left out and uh, you know you're able to actually say well i my idea for this would be would be this and uh whether everybody agrees with you or not at least it's on the table you know the best idea will float to the to to the top because you'll have a little if if need be you'll have a little debate about it and whoever wins has a reason for why they feel that way 
And so you never feel like, you know, you never feel like going off in your corner and grumbling about it because you actually expressed your opinion and either you were right or you're wrong. It doesn't really matter. You got it out. You know, that was part of the relationship. Like we both, we both been around the block and so has Ben. And so we knew we, we, we'd, we'd had dysfunctional relationships in comics and we wanted to, to sidestep all of that. So we were able to just kind of approach it and say like, look, uh, you, I respect what you do. You respect what I do. You know, let's cut the shit. Let's just do the book. And and that's how it worked out. I'm talking a lot. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if that actually... I, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> Somebody asked something else. Right. Well, for a six-issue series, there's uh-huh. a staggering amount of design work in this thing. Not not only the human characters, but you have, like you said, the Mysterium and the train car, but all those Susian nightmares running around in that, that land of wool. I mean, how long did that take you? To, to the, my eye, it does not look like you did it on the fly. Those characters look like they've been around. You've, you've a, uh, a lot, refreshed I, them out. A lot, of it I did. a lot of it I did on the fly. Uh, really? <laughs> the, that, that particular, I was hitting a pretty good stride with the first three issues. I was, I was getting them done in about six weeks each. The vowel issue, vowel. issue number four, took something like nine weeks <laughs> to get done uh, because the... I mean, the central premise of Val is that it's this pocket dimension that's running out of room for its inhabitants. Literally means you have to fill every effing panel with, you know, a dozen little vowel lights or uh, Mm -hmm. Um, because you have to get the sense that it's that it's claustrophobic. That like they're just they're just stacked on top of each other. I'm lucky in that you know when I'm when I'm doodling just you know when I'm on the phone with somebody or or whatever. I'm typically doodling something that looks an awful lot like a Helmogen. So I was actually, I mean, uh, short of, I mean, there were the two, there were a few that were designed ahead of time. Um, so there was the, the kind of the, the haberdashery-obsessed uh, feline. Uh, I can't say the real name or else I get sued. And some of the, you know, uh, and the two thug, uh, the two thug Helmogens that, that show up in, uh, in issue number three and Ape in the Cape. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of others, they were done before the fact. I mean, I had to kind of figure out what those guys looked like before the fact because they were going to kind of reappear. But virtually all of the other things were uh, just filled in in the ink stage. Um, I, I'd kind of sketch out kind of a shape, like a monster shape, and I'd figure out where their mouth was and I'd figure out where their eyes were. But all of the rest of it, like, okay, this one's this one's scaly, this one's got fur, this one's got claws, whatever. Most of that came out of just was what was necessary in the inks, and a lot of that just happened in the inks. Because the beauty about drawing monsters is you can never get it wrong. Mm-hmm. That is not anatomically correct. You know, that monster wouldn't have that many spines on his nose. You know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Like you can't you, you can't get it wrong because you know a they're never going to get re- repeated, but b they're fucking monsters. You know, like you don't have to worry about them being pretty. You know. And actually, as, as I talk to you guys, I'm actually color correcting for the uh, trade right now. So nice. I, oh, just spot, I just spotted something else I need to do. So, Tom, I mean, um, you know, this is one of those those things where sometimes I feel like uh, every now and then there's a comic that's written specifically for me. 
and I think this is one of those times because, um, I, I mean, as you said, you, you're pretty open about the fact that Jack Davis is a major influence, and he's one of my favorites. So when I saw your stuff, I immediately thought, "Holy shit, this is you know Jack Davis, uh, Jack Davis's love child." But the thing that really caught me was when the books first started getting hyped up, and I read an interview with you. It might have been you and Jeff, but but I know you were in it. And you mentioned the Dirk Gently thing, and and Douglas Adams is my my all time favorite writer. So when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, he's "Shit!" I'm like, "It's it's a Jack Davis inspired artist writing a book that's inspired by Dirk Gently." And I, uh, so I mean, you sort of had me at hello to uh, to uh, yeah. To point. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's one of those uh, like I'm not kidding about the thing earlier when I was saying that like it was genuinely it it was like synchronicity. Um, again, a really douchey term. Um, that when, you know, when, when Jeff was originally, uh, pitching this to me, he literally said, like, oh yeah, it's like Dirk Gently, and I was literally reading it at that moment. I mean, literally, it was, it literally, literally, it was, uh, it was sitting next to me on a sofa. And, uh, we just, I mean, it was just one of those things we just clicked on right away, because, uh, the only thing, I mean, pretty much once a month I listened to the entire Hitchhiker's radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the entire thing, uh, all 23, 24 episodes, whatever it is. Uh, it's the only thing I have in iTunes. I'm nuts for, for, uh, for Douglas Adams and he's everywhere, like <laughs> all the way through the book. And, you know, we were also, we were hitting like every, pretty much like every nerd, you know, every, every nerd reference we could possibly hit. So we were, we were looking in terms of, you know, this is the world where all the Hammer Horror films happen. You know, this is this is the world where the Avengers happen, the TV series happen. This is the world where the Prisoner happens. Somewhere Hot Fuzz is going on, you know. Um, and uh, we were just, you know, we, like, we kind of hit the ground running with the assumption that we'd never be allowed to do any more of this. Like, we kind of hoped. <laughs> but we were kind of like, I don't know, please it's a success. So we kind of, we kind of blew our watch. Like we were basically like, let's not second guess our audience. Let's not, you know, engage in any of that bullshit. We'll, we'll just, we're just going to do, th- and again, you know, they said to us, do whatever you want. So we did. We literally, like, we, we wrote the book that we would have loved to read when we were, you know, 13, 14 years old. Totally. And, and, and we, we just had this nerdgasm all over the entire thing. <laughs> How did your Wildstorm editors uh, take it when you guys invoiced them for a three-week vacation in the Bahamas? Because it was all part of the process of creating the book. Not well. Ben raped me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, you know, aside from that, he's a tender lover. So it, it was, no, it, it uh, actually, Wildstorm was amazing. It was weird because it kind of felt like they were gearing up to be a creator, like a creator-friendly company again. You know, or I don't mean that they're not like they were bastards or anything, but I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, this is the company that used to have Homage Studios and used to publish Strangers in Paradise and, you know, all sorts of of books that were more kind of creator-driven as opposed to... Wildstorm Universe driven or DC driven or you know whatever, and uh, it's it kind of felt to us like with us they were trying to kind of return to some kind of model or or at least trying to redefine themselves a little bit in terms of being like a a, a company for creators, which meant you know again they gave us just an insane amount of latitude to to really do whatever we wanted and. Uh, it's kind of weird because they were also kind of learning how to promote that kind of thing again while we were working for them. So as a result, 
you know, by the by the by the I think the fourth issue, we started carrying like preview pages for upcoming creator-owned series, you know, things like that. But of course, there was you know there was very little. There was I, I think we had like a, a preview in in well in previews. Totally bummed at because you know, there's so much cool stuff coming out of, out of Wildstorm, but the big you know the big. Uh, you know, hoopla was that they were relaunching the Wildstorm universe, and mm. because that kind of tripped out of the gate, and I, I think everyone admits that that tripped with the with the Wildcats and and Authority and all that. That I think that series like uh, Gale's um, Welcome to Tranquility, Tranquility. some really good series got overlooked because people were kind of miffed about the relaunch of of the the Wildstorm universe and it seemed like Wildstorm was really getting some great creative teams and some really neat creator owned projects that were coming out of there and uh, I think they're still going to continue to do that but man I wish that more of the focus had been on on these these new properties that they were working on. Yeah, I think to a large degree, um, I think they were trying. Honestly, I think they were just trying to cast a wide net. They were trying to. They, they seem to have spent the last God knows how many years trying to um, trying to convince people they're not the company of, of, of late products because they keep. I mean, there, there are those two or three notable, incredibly late to the extent that they've been canceled. Things, but everything else they put out is coming out on time. You know, yeah. but those are the things that everybody goes back to, and they they tend to, at least in my mind, they, they tend to wind up being whipping boys for a lot of, um, you know, all the people that used to complain about image. I mean, like all the people that used to whine and moan about, like, I mean, all the image books are the same. They fucking hate that shit. <laughs> they all, it's like they all. Almost for whatever reason, they all just jumped on the Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. Like they all jumped on the Wildstorm's back, and it's I don't know, I, it's not. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying this because they're all my friends, but uh, <laughs> it's, it I, it really isn't justified, and it it, it kind of pissed us off a bit because we didn't want to, you know, we, all of a sudden we were being tarred with this weird brush that we didn't kind of ask or want to be tarred with, you know. And the editors are very sensitive <laughs> to 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 that, you know, to anybody kind of. Suggesting um, that things are going to be late or, or anything, we had like an insane lead time. And um, I remember too, it's like when 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 I was when we were on tour promoting the book and stuff. Uh, every shop owner I talked to, almost the first question out of their mouth was, "So, is books going to ship on time?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, the books going to ship. Yes." So I don't know. I, I'm really hoping that uh, this whole like DC. Um, restructuring or reimagine whatever it winds up being i i'm actually hoping that winds up being a good thing for wildstorm because i i look at wildstorm as kind of being they're like an i well they're an it farm and you know you, you need to kind of let wildstorm do that kind of more searching material that kind of blends blends genres and and whatnot and just tries to do something different but with all the money that you would do a normal superhero book with, you know, give people, give people the opportunity to make a living doing what they want to do. 
Yeah, yeah it, it, it gives people an opportunity, you know, an arm of DC to do different things that maybe doesn't fit into Vertigo, but also doesn't fit into into you know DC proper. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting area to to play around with. It's like you know, I think Mysterious could have been a Vertigo book. I think it would fit into Vertigo just fine. But you know, maybe not not a perfect fit. I think you could have shoehorned it in there. But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff at Wildstorm that it's like, yeah, that's not really a Vertigo book. It it just doesn't fit that mold of what they of what they're doing over there. But and it's definitely not a not a DC book. It's um you know one of the things the Mighty which is coming out of DC right now, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. It's a uh, Pete Tomasi writing it and Chris Somney on art. It's it's in DC, but that could easily be a Wildstorm. It, it feels like a Wildstorm book, so it's yeah. uh, it's interesting how they decide which ones are main mainline DC and which ones are Wildstorm. What was the? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of that actually just comes down to who the who the commissioning editor is, though, because yeah, um, they're like a caper. Uh, if you remember, wasn't Vertigo? It was it was just DC proper, and that's just because uh, Shrek had a relationship with Judd. Uh, and that's that's why it happened there. Hello, this is Johnny, the homicidal drummer, calling. Uh, I have not joined the message board yet, but I wanted to announce this momentous occasion. And instead of telling you what I like about you, which everybody else does, I'll tell you what I don't like about you. And I don't like that Vince has convinced me to buy Deadpool and Thunderbolts again, therefore taking more of my money away to Marvel. And also that you guys are always pushing DCBS in stock and them also taking the rest of my money away. But that being said, uh, it's a great show. Uh, just a side note, Vince, uh, Marvel Zombies 3 was 10 bucks, hardcover at Chicago Comic Con. And uh, you should have picked it up there. And don't be jealous, Chris, because you can use that hardcover to bash the zombies in the head when the zombie apocalypse comes. So it uh, will be put to good use. I will not call you 11 o'clockers because that's another thing I don't like. Later. Wasn't there an interesting little offshoot of DC books that, um, uh, like Hard Time, the the Steve Gerber, Brian Hurt? Oh yeah, book? that was uh, that was yeah that was Focus. That was them trying to uh, actually create another imprint uh, that was actually still just under under DC. Because that's the thing that actually drives me nuts about when people talk about Wildstorm as being an imprint. Like, no, they're a different company that's published by the same publisher and not an imprint. Uh, But Focus was, uh, literally, it was an imprint. And actually, I was up for, um, it was, originally, it was Andy Helfer's brainchild. And then he wasn't there anymore. (laughs) And it kind of fell into the lap of of, uh, John Hilty and Ivan Cohen, I think. But, yeah, I was actually up for one of those books. And then it just went away. Uh, it wound up with somebody, it wound up being somebody else's, but uh, uh, yeah, they, they 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 again, you know, they tried something different, but it felt kind of like a misstep because I know that they tried to get it going, like uh, the, the just knowing is, I mean, because I was kind of on the inside of a lot of that, and and I know how long it took for us to try and get, you know, what Andy was testing me out on to 
to get it to work, and it, you know, it, you know, I'd do something and get thrown out, and then the script would get rewritten, and then oh, this other thing is going to happen. And it just took forever, and um, I get the feeling that with that, it, 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 it they, they spent so long of it, and then on it, and then Andy left, and then they just said, "Fuck it, let's pull the trigger." And uh, I don't know, I, you know, I, I honestly, I, I have no idea kind of what the marketing behind it, the ultimate rollout was, or, uh, you know, how well, how well it sold. Certainly the only one of those books that I, that I read and very much enjoyed was Hard Time. I was still on the DC comp list <laughs> back then, um, so I started reading a lot of books because I was getting them for free. And um, I, that was hard time. Was one of the ones I started reading because uh, I was getting it for free. But by the by the end of the time that I was I was on the comp list, they started like missing months, and so I missed the second last issue of Hard Time. And as a result, I've never actually read the last issue of Hard Time. There never was a last issue of Hard Time, so it's I know okay. it was basically like Gerber saying, "This is what I'm gonna do." Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge hole in the comic book cosmos out there that is the end of hard time that we will never ever see and it's and it's so oh, there's a huge hole in the comic book world that is the grave of Steve Gerber. Oh, I know. I know. It's uh, Brian Hurt was actually at the at the show last weekend. He's a St. Mm. Louis and, and came up and and I always mean to talk to Brian about working with Gerber on that series cuz it was so good and it's yeah i man in a perfect world that that thing would have would have gone yeah. for you know 24 issues or whatever and they would have been able to tell their story cuz it was it was awesome it was kind of ahead of its time because you can kind of got the sense that it 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 was um something that could have lived forever in trade and and it was just before people started realizing oh oh yeah we should just kind of try and sell the trade <laughs> you know, and they're still they're still on the fence about that, which is which is kind of one of the frustrating things about Mysterious is that you know the, the there's this idea that if it doesn't sell as individual issues, then it's a failure, and that's still for whatever reason I can't fathom why, but for whatever reason that still seems to be the prevailing wisdom, and it, it seems to me that in a in a in a in a publishing world where uh, the phenomenon of waiting for the trade is so pervasive. Why you would uh, assume that you know? Wh- wh- why you wouldn't treat uh, the individual issues as kind of almost a loss leader adver- advertisement for the trade, which you will then promote the hell out of? I don't know why. Like, if that's not your business plan, then something's broken. Like, <laughs> it's. It really should be, you know, especially on a, especially on something with a beginning, middle, and end. You know, if it's you know X Men or whatever that you know is going to just keep going on in perpetuity no matter what. Well, then you know, that's that's a different kettle of fish. But if it's if it's literally something that that is that that is built to read as a series of stories as opposed to a series of issues that make up a story, you, honestly, I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't be kind of adopting that model. That like, okay, well, it didn't sell great in individual issues, but let's you know, let's shorten the window to bring it out as a trade, and and let's just promote the living shit out of it and and, sure. and see what happens, you know. Yeah, and and honestly, that that's how the publishers are training us. Uh, is is that that's yeah. what's going to happen, and so it's a really weird in between phase right now. But I mean, yeah, because you, 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 I think there are a lot of people are still used to the old way, and the, I, there needs to be kind of a re a reassessment throughout the industry. I think it might actually be happening right now, but I hope yeah. it's happening right now because that bodes well for us. 
you and Parker are pretty good buddies, right? Mm-hmm. It's have you have you read Underground yet? Not yet. I have uh, I have the first issue, and it's and I haven't had a chance to uh, to, to to break it open. I went through it uh, tonight before we before we started recording. Really good. I think it's 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 some of uh, it's some of Jeff's. It's really solid, and and I'm a big a big Steve Lieber fan. Yeah, I I've, I've flipped through it too, and I think it's some of like Steve Steve's best work. I met Jeff through Steve, and for uh, many 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 years, like literally every con I went to, Steve and Jeff were like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Like they were always sitting next to each other, and they were always just tackling away about one thing or another. Um, they also both share a passion for uh, hunting humans. Um, which is bizarre. Uh, they keep, you know, we, if you ever run into Steve at a show and he gets a glint in his eye and starts talking about the most dangerous game, just run. Um, they're, they're two of the sweetest guys, too, in the industry. Like, uh, of, of, of all the sweethearts that there are, they, they really are, like, two of the nicest guys. And, um, uh, uh, uh they, they helped me get through a lot of stuff <laughs> over the years. And, um, uh, I just, I, I just hope it's a runaway success. I really do because they, they both deserve it. Yeah, really, really solid first issue. But it's also one of those that it's like number one of five, and I think it's going to fall into that kind of trap that a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for the trade, and hopefully yeah. it does well enough in single issue sales that they're able to bring it out and trade. Same thing with Mysterious that I, I, people are really being conditioned. It's like, oh, it's a five issue miniseries that looks really cool. I bet that reads. Great great as a trade you know i go through that thought process for me it's like because i know that uh that mysterious is going to look great on my bookshelf but i got it in single issues too so uh so screw you because i'm gonna have it twice now yeah you are because we're doing a lot of extra stuff for the book they're letting us get away with murder on a trade Um, that's cool i don't feel bad then well well the thing is uh you know as i said you know we're, we're living in this weird world that we're still in transition right so the trade needs, and this is going to be really crass, because I'm essentially just talking to you, listener. Buy the fucking trade. Uh, because the, the, the trade needs to do well for us to be allowed to do more. It, it, like, it literally, I wish I could be more kind of delicate about that, but it literally, the trade has to do well. And so as a result, um, Jeff and I are doing a whole bunch of extra stuff. Just to, like I said before, I mean, I'm I'm going through the, uh, I'm cleaning up as as much of the little, I, I load on a lot of crap in my art, so it, I'm I'm sure I'm hell on colorists no matter what. So I'm going through right now, I'm just kind of picking up the little elements here and there to try and fix up as much of those little things as possible. But uh, we we've got a bunch of little kind of extra pages that otherwise would have been kind of filled with. Uh, you know, some little weird design element or, or this, that, or a little quote or whatever that we're actually using to tell a completely different story. Uh, and we're throwing in, you know, we're, they're letting us get, kind of go to town on the cover and the, the end pages and, you know, everything in between. Uh, so they're literally every page of this book, you will find something, uh, every extra page of this book that wasn't already in the, in the series, you're going to find something new that you haven't seen before that will make it worth Double dipping if you if you if you single dip to begin with, uh, but certainly be worth picking the thing up because we really want it to stand out on our shelf and we really want it to be something that people kind of go, hey, look at this, this looks different, let's get this. Because um, I, I gotta say, I mean, literally, I, I I've never been more proud of anything I've ever worked on in my career, and I want to be able to I want I want to be able to continue doing this. Um, I want to be able to do that second series. Um, 
uh, and third and fourth and you know, whatever, because I want to develop these characters. I want to go further. I want to show people the mansion, the palatial estate the mysterious lives on. You know, I want to be able to show people Kevin, the 200-year tr- uh, punk troll that uh, used to work the doors of CBGBs and hung out with Iggy and the Stooges. You know, I, I, I want to show. <laughs> You're killing I, I, want to, I want to show people the various acts of uh, leprechaun evisceration that uh, that uh, Mysterious gets up to. Um, and I want Jeff is opposed to this, but I'm still going to work with him somehow. I want to show people Ponce de Leon, my favorite character that I came up with in the uh, in the in the creation process, which is essentially uh, Ponce did find the um, the Fountain of Youth, only it doesn't stop you aging; it just makes you younger. Uh, so it slows down the it slows down the aging process, but it goes backwards. So Ponce is now a perpetually drunk toddler. Uh, he's actually in the body of like a 15 month old drinks who drinks Red Label, wears footy pajamas, and constantly moans about the fact that he misses his balls. <laughs> yeah, nice. See, that's one of the things about Mysterious that added a lot of value. F- to the series for me, and this is where it ties into the Gerber thing, because he did a lot of this kind of stuff as well, where he would take real-life events and people and twist them into new shapes. And if you were on the ball, like if you had a, a working knowledge of the occult, you'd know instantly that this Vinton Dulac character is really oh, yeah, yeah. Anton Zandor LeVay. Right. And yeah. so, so that and was there were a lot of people. Actually, it would have been a lot, um, there were a lot of extra things too that, uh, would have been a lot closer to their real life counterparts that we got warned away from by DC Legal. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, there's actually, there's a great story, uh, about, um, there's a skeptic who appears in the first issue that one might say, one might say, hypothetically, in the world of hypothetical, one might say he bears a passing resemblance in some ways to a certain Mr. James Randi. And uh, originally when I drew it, and actually if you go back and you look at the preview that was in previews, he was a, uh, a fat, bald guy with a big bushy beard and glasses and, you know, a, white, and a white beard. Uh, now I didn't, you know, I looked, obviously I looked at what James Randi looked like, but I didn't base the character, um, aside from fat, bald, beard, glasses, it didn't look anything really, as, to my mind at least, it didn't look anything like him. But uh, about two weeks before we went to press, uh, we get a note from, D- from DC Legal saying, it looks too much like James Randi, change it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what? What are you kidding? We, we go to press in two weeks. Like, no, 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 change it. And we're like, well, how? What do you want us to do? Uh, well, maybe you give them hair. So they wound up actually literally sending me back the pages, the original pages, to redo. And then Dave and I decided to get a little cheeky about it. So I, I, put, I put an obvious toupee on him, and I, had, uh, I told uh, Dave to give, him, give his beard uh, like an obvious out-of-the-bottle color. And uh, so we, we sent them back in, and we were, we were very proud of ourselves because we were such cheeky little bastards. And um, then the next day, we get a note back from D.C. Legal again saying, what color was James Randi's hair before he went bald? And I went nuts. I was, I was, I was just incensed. I was like, no! no! Fuck you! No! Uh, and uh, uh, Ben had to basically kind of, me down off the roof and say like no please 
please help me, please. So I did about 30 seconds of, 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 of Google image searching, and I found a picture of James Randi when he was younger. Of course, he was still bald, but he had a jet black beard. So I sent that to DC Legal, and they were happy, and we you know, ran with the red-haired, toupee uh, character. And then, of course, when the book actually wound up coming out, we went through a couple of other things like that as well, but when the, uh, when the book actually wound up coming out, there were a number of reviews that were like, I can't believe they put John Byrne in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that actually, dude, it came to mind whenever I saw it. I was like, is that Byrne? <laughs> and we were, we were literally, we were laughing our asses off because we were like, okay, we've gone from a guy that wouldn't give a crap. <laughs> like, I'm sure he'd even like the publicity, you know, to a guy that actually possibly could be litigious about this. <laughs> a, guy, a guy who was already not so happy about uh, X-Men First Class. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, so. but, you know, just to, just to, just to, and, and just to clarify, it's not John Byrne, nor is it James Randi. <laughs> Don't well, sue us. I you, have no money. You did turn. I'm a professional uh, cartoonist. You turned Penn of Penn and Teller into a black man, so you recovered there. That was another one of those legal things because what what had happened was we wanted you know we wanted kind of ciphers for a bunch of real world magicians, right. so we wanted and good magicians at that. So we wanted you know kind of a Penn and Teller type character. We wanted a Ricky J type character. We wanted a David Copperfield type character. Right. Of course, we knew we couldn't make them look like that, and, and, and DC, you know, warned us off of any real likenesses. So originally, uh, I, I thought, um, okay, why don't I make this Penn and Teller team, type teen, team rather, um, into the two guys from um curb your enthusiasm and i thought that would be great and so i i pitched it to them and they were like no they can't even if you're going off type they can't look like the real people you're basing them off of so i just came up with two guys that were completely original looking sorry as i passed my washing machine um i just came up with two guys who were, who were completely original and i came up with a backstory with them in the back of my head and it was like okay a three thousand year old lemurian sorcerer and his lizard, his lizard familiar in human form was Teller. And so, and then I dressed him up like Leon Redbone, and and said, "Okay, great. Well, yeah, we'll do that. There's nothing they can do. There's they're based on no one except for maybe Leon Redbone. They kind of do this weird, you know. They all have the exact same mannerisms, like the the, the Teller type um, moves exactly like the pen type." You know, <laughs> it went up. It went up the flagpole, and it came back down again. They were like, uh, "Can we um, do something to make him not look like Pen?" And it's like, he doesn't look like Pen. <laughs> They're like, well, they were thinking that uh, maybe, maybe they could make one of them black. And I was like, uh, "No, okay, look." How about we do, and I, I picture them a whole Lemurian thing, and it's like, yeah, since he's Lemurian, why don't you, you know, give him kind of a, like, Hispanic kind of tone to him. You know, they just give him kind of a more olive-skinned whatever. And about five minutes later, I sent another email to Ben saying, like, fuck it, just make him black. I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> you people win. Uh, well, frankly, in the end, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Penn Jillette would love to be cast as a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's enough there for the reader, you know the the, the nudge nudge wink wink. We th those who know will pick up on who these characters sure. are supposed. Oh to yeah, be. 
Well, the thing is, too, the um, the the silver mine character is actually based on an old um, Spider-Man villain hmm. to a degree. Spider-Man Silver villain Man. type. Yeah. Silver Mane, exactly. Right. Or at least what I remember of him from when I was reading like the stuff when I was a really little kid and there was like an issue I had that had the rapier, which was like this little thing dude that had been done wrong by Silver Mane. So yeah, essentially the guy with a leather jacket and, and, and gray hair. And for the, uh, the Ricky J type, I was like, I need a, like, a really kind of disheveled, sad sack looking bastard. Oh, I know, Ty Templeton. <laughs> I say with love. That's my buddy. You have fun with this, don't you? Just kind of. Oh yeah, it, it was an absolute blast. Because, like I said, you know, it was, it was a nerdgasm for us. So we were like hitting all these references that that we kind of figured only we would get. But uh, as as it turns out, a lot of the a lot of the readership picked up on a lot of it, and oh, uh, it was sure. it was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. And, and another mm-hmm. fun aspect of the book was your almost. Austin Power level command of genitalia obfuscation. Like this is a really <laughs> dirty book. There's a lot of nudity in it. There, a lot of full frontal nudity. A lot of sex, but you don't really see it because there's there's like hands covering genitals. There's mud. You know. There's like you, there was like almost a masterful comical way of how's he going to block out the the naughty bits in this panel and yeah that, that ultimately kind of became a game for me because for the most part i got no problem drawing naked people i i yeah. actually enjoy drawing naked people and i i kind of fight to draw naked people and we got to about halfway through the first issue i'm giving you guys really like behind the veil stuff here um we got halfway through the first issue uh, the second issue rather to that scene where there are all the bunch of the, you know, the naked witches Mm-hmm. In the in actually, what is my parents' living room? Um, <laughs> Your parents are sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. well, they have a really nice house, but uh, yeah, all the interiors of that house are my parents' are my parents' living room. But uh, uh, we got to that point, and they were like, uh, "There's no real nudity. There's bums, you know. Bums yeah. that ain't nudity, you know. That's just bums. Who cares?" But that was, you know, I submitted the first eleven pages, and then I was going to ink the the second 11 pages and submit that all at once and uh when they got those pages they were like um we've got a bit of a problem and i was like oh god now what now what and it turned out that uh yeah we're not allowed to do adult content anymore in wildstorm <laughs> and we we're like what what are you talking about but yeah we can't ever since the whole boys thing we can't we can't do adult content <laughs> and, hilarious and we didn't know. The thing is, like, we 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 never really set out to do like a fucking book. You know what I mean? Like, we weren't. It's not something we wanted to do. It's not something that really interested us. But we wanted to say, you know, we wanted to say a dirty word here and the get here here and there. I wanted to show like the side of a boob here. I wanted to show lots of bums because I want. I really like the the for me stylistically. What I really wanted to achieve was that kind of that Hammer horror film. You know, late sixties, early seventies Hammer horror film. Mm-hmm. aesthetic that you would get it was kind of naughty you know like it's never outright it's always tongue-in-cheek yeah it's never outright dirty but it's kind of naughty and i wanted i wanted the ability to show you a bunch of really nice shapely lady bums and then hit you with mysterious's ass <laughs> like just everywhere right and it was it was basically this little game that i was going to play with the 13 year old boys you know it's like yeah i'll give you i'll give you the hot lady bum but you're going to have to look at 
mangy ass main bum as well, you know. <laughs> Sounds and, like my uh, Comic Con experience uh, having a yeah. show. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's it, you know, I wanted I wanted to give them. I basically I wanted to give them Dragon Con. Um, <laughs> you got to take the good with the bad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And 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 but yeah. So so hearing this, I was like, damn it, because the next scene right after that is his flashback where he goes to an orgy for Christ's sake. <laughs> and so all of those scenes of of a mysterious on the is pretty much one one or two pages. There all these there's this whole big scene of mysterious getting naked except for his black socks and putting on a robe. All of those I had to slightly adjust so you couldn't see his ass. And it drove me nuts. And you know, they were saying stuff like, Okay, we're gonna have to fix the lady bums in coloring and when it finally came out they did nothing. And nobody said boo, you know. So it's it's one of those things that were just like, ah, oh, you know. I, so eventually it became a game for me because I was like, you know, if I were doing this, and, and in the layouts, I mean, I'll, one of these days I'll post some layouts from the series. Everybody's naked. <laughs> nice. <laughs> in, the layouts, in those scenes where people were wearing like bikinis or, or whatnot, like the mud scene at the end or whatever, everybody's naked. I, I, I smell original art purchase. There you go. Oh, no, you're not going to see it in the original art. You're just, it's just on the it's just on the layouts. And I don't post oh, okay. my layouts. No, okay. uh, I may I may someday if I need the money, um, which will likely be next week. Really, you uh, you, you keep your layouts? Yeah, yeah I do. really. Uh, Where? Uh, well, what? Out of curiosity, well, I'll, get I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a minute. But okay. uh, uh, so ultimately, what it, what wound up happening was I, I I was like, okay, for myself, I'm going to treat this like the book I was always going to draw anyway. But for mass consumption, I'll do the little things that, you know, cover things up. And it's not new for me, because in Caper, I don't know how many of you guys read Caper, but there's a scene at the end where um, the two guys go to this, like, porn magnet's house, and he's got all these naked ladies running around. And they get attacked by, I don't know, I think they were government agents or something like that. And all of a sudden, they all run out of the house, like, completely naked, but they're all, like, they're all oiled up with AKs, right? And they're shooting. They're shooting away. And Judd's Judd's note was like, "Okay, just you know, cover everything up with black lines. You know, those little black censorship lines." I was like, "That's not funny." I was like, that, "That's that's not funny." So what I wound up doing is covering it, covering up all the naughty bits, all the jiggly bits, with like a well placed AK strap or a or a sound effect or a blast from the gun or. Or, or 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 debris flying off a statue or something like that, and it wound up taking a lot more time to draw. But in the end, it's a fucking hilarious. I think at least visually, it's hilarious because at the very end of it, the the main male character, who's not somebody you would ever want to see naked, in the original art, like uh, my concept was basically he will now come striding out, buck naked, but will digitize his penis, which is something I'd seen before, but I drew it. Because I've seen it. everybody else who does that kind of thing, they like they push that. And I'm like, I can't draw a penis. That makes me gay. It's like you're gay if you don't draw the penis. <laughs> um, I drew the the, the full on thing, and uh, 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 yeah, it was just like. And so if you see the originals, and again, I I am going to post those actually someday soon because I just found them again. <laughs> but uh, it was that you know that that kind of stuff never ever bothers me. So like going back and kind of doing that again. Uh, it was kind of fun, and like I said, it was just a weird little game that I played with the audience. Say like, "Yeah, you're gonna see a boop? No, you're not. You're gonna see a boop? No, you're not." Well, it's increasingly funny the more it happens. Yeah, it's the Austin Powers scene. It's, it's just a sense of like, "Oh, I'm reading something naughty." 
you know. Yep, a twig and berries. Hopefully, if we get to do a second series, you will actually see some of those bums. But you know, I never, you know, I never wanted to show like full frontal or anything like that because that would kind of pop the illusion. Like then we'd be doing Hellblazer. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I always wanted to give this sense of something kind of vaguely naughty that would have come out of Hammer Studios or, or something like that. Hello, Vince, David, Jason, and Chris. This is the Wraith Maker. Yes, that's it. That's Raph. It's on, on the hot, uh, on the hotline. I mean, can you believe it? Can you totally believe it? I mean, I'm actually calling in. I'm not sending you guys a, uh, MP3 or whatever. Um, the reason being is, um, well, Saturday was the Windy City Comic Con, and, um, I woke up at 5 o'clock to go to the Windy City Comic Con from New York to Chicago. I got there at 11. I stayed there till 4, and at 4 I left for the, for the airport, and I got back to New York at 1. So I did 13 hours of traveling and waiting in airports to attend five hours of con. Somewhere along along that point, <coughs> um, I am sorry to say that the RAF radio actually uh, I dropped the RAF radio and it cracked. And um, the uh, my 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 fine friends on on the planet Zerin are are actually trying to fix it as we speak. Um, I'm actually a little uh, saddened by that. Uh, they said I, they can get it back in a few weeks. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little scared and, and nervous. Ed? I can't live without the radio. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just want to tell you, Vince, that um, I was really sorry to not see you there when you see the Comic Con. It was a blast and a half, even though I was only there for five hours. Uh, I want to co- commend Chris for holding a great event. I had a lot of fun and uh, got to see some old friends, Wood. Uh, Steve Bryan, Andy. I finally got to meet Andy Jewett, that Crucy, the always awesome man at DCBS, uh, and the writer of the contingent. Um, you know, I just, it was a great time, and uh, I got to pimp out my book. I talked to some comic book stores and some comic book fans, handed out some flyers. It was a really good time. Now, I do want to say this, though, and uh, I, I don't know how quite to say it, but I'm. <laughs> But in terms of the layouts, typically what I do now is I, I actually work on the original pages kind of print size. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have little templates that I've made that are essentially just print size. And that I, I, I kind of pencil out my layouts that way, and then I scan them into my computer and uh, blow them up, make them blue, and I print them out, clean that up a little bit, like clean up faces and hands and important details with a pencil, but then basically just go in with the inks, which is a technique that I learned from actually from Cameron Stewart years ago. Uh, and at the time when he told me how he, how, what his process was, I told him he was nuts. Uh, <laughs> I've eaten those words. He, he was actually still a lot more kind of, um, he was a lot more precious about it all than I am. I tend to just slap things down. He was very, very careful about making sure everything was exactly right. And I just kind of go like, ah, oh, shit, I don't have time. I get paid. I get paid. Slap, 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 slap. How did Dave McKay get involved in the book? Dave McKay got involved with the book because they asked me, uh, and this is another really great thing about uh, the working relationship we all have, is they asked me who I wanted to color me, and I gave them a short list. Um, and it was uh, Dave Stewart, Chris Chuckery, Mike Atea, and uh, Dave McKay. I, at first, I was a little bit standoffish with Dave um, because I wasn't sure how what he did would translate over what I did. Uh, and then, just as I was 
kind of just as I was pretty much ready to write him off, they put out that um, it was a Penguin one shot that was Jason Aaron and Jason Jason Armstrong. It's my favorite Penguin story ever. Oh, me too, man. That was uh, it. Was it was it was right up there with the Sam Keith one from years ago uh, that was in a. Uh, sorry, you're going to hear my washing machine again and my dog going outside. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a Sam Keith Penguin story that ran in like Secret Origins like years ago. Just a classic issue of Secret Origins because it had like a Neil Gaiman, uh, Matt Wagner, Riddler story, and um, a couple other like just fucking amazing things. But yeah, it was yeah it was an amazing story. But it was uh, it was it was it was colored by Dave and Dave did like a completely different. Like it was a total departure for him. And after he got the job, we were talking on the phone, and I was like, because basically he got the job, and I was like, do that. What you did there, do that. Because I love that. Do that. We pushed his extremes a little bit, which was cool. Because uh, he really did color it differently than he's kind of approached really most of the other work that he's done. But yeah, yeah, I was talking on the phone with him, and uh, I was telling him the whole story. Because what wound up happening was Ben actually confused Dave with Chris Chuckery, because they're both Canadian. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I love Chuckery. That would be great. Oh, and Dave McCain just did this really awesome thing. You know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, he was telling me, he was like, well, you know why that book looks like that? And I was like, oh, well, why? It's like, oh, yeah, I just got my new Cintiq. <laughs> uh, I was playing with it to see what I could do. Nice. So, uh, you know, so, but he just, yeah, he, he wound up in that book. He had this, like, really beautiful, kind of painterly style that almost looked like you could see the brush strokes. You know what I mean? And you could see the brush strokes break apart. And that's what I really like. You know, like when 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 Dave Stewart was coloring Conan, you know, it looked like an oil painting, but you could see every brush stroke. It wasn't that kind of airbrushy you know, you could see the layers of modeling that went into it, but you could but it was modeled with color, it wasn't modeled with tone. And and that's what I was really looking for, you know. Dave's awesome. Now you did the color art for the covers, correct? Oh yeah, I painted them. The, they're all great, but number four really stands out. Oh, thank you. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> cover. Well, what what ended up happening was I I started when I started I I was like okay I'm gonna paint the first cover and I'm just gonna draw the rest normally because Jesus you know I need a breathing room and uh, so I uh, I painted the first cover and it was kind of a my my little ode to Peter Desav a little bit and uh, each of the covers kind of had a thematic. I wanted to hit like a thematic style of illustration, period of illustration uh, in the popular in the popular arts kind of thing. So the first one was my kind of my Peter Savvy kind of thing, and then when I was doing sketches for the second one, which was to be my uh, my Robert McGinnis style cover, ah. I was giving I was giving Dave all kinds of coloring notes at the beginning, and I was showing people the sketches and okay, this is what it's going to look like, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And uh, Jeff said something to the effect of, like, wow, this is going to look great when Tom paints it. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff essentially threw down the gauntlet. And so I had to paint it. And in the end, I'm no Robert, I'm no, I'm, I'm no McGinnis. So I, I wound up titling it um, The McGinnis Wore Tennis Shoes. Because uh, it, it wound up looking exactly like the Walt Disney The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes poster I'm staring at right now, which is a gorgeous poster. But uh, yeah, it was, and uh, the third one was uh, was was created to look like a an EC cover. The fourth one was created to look like an, an Asterix cover. 
Mm, nice. Um, the fifth one was designed to look like a trash novel from the 70s. And the sixth one was basically just me being me. It was at that point I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going <laughs> to do image. It took me forever to come up with this shit. I'm just going to do it. Uh, and so, so the fifth one is basically that's how I paint. So it, yeah, it uh, it uh, and again, you know, it was it was it was really cool, you know, Wildstorm giving me the latitude to do that. Now, unfortunately, I didn't really get paid a whole lot else, you know, a whole lot more to do it. But it was one of those kind of like, no, I love this book, I believe in this property, and I'm just gonna, you know, I, I've got I've got time to do it, I'll do it. Tom, do you you also paint uh, Monroe, right? That's I used to. Oh, okay. I used to. Uh, I don't. When I first started, I guess about the first year and a half, I, I did the color. This is, of course, Monroe from Mad Magazine. I did the colors myself, and I basically just applied watercolor over the original artwork. And you know, the great thing about Mad is that because they've been around forever, um, they're, it's not like working for a comics publisher. It's it, you're working for a real publisher. The tough feels. And you basically say you can you can say to them like yeah I painted it on like four by six foot masonite and I used nails to put make levels in in the art and without blinking an eye they'll say like yeah just send it in because they, <laughs> they just they don't worry about it. you know what I mean like they're not like oh god it's got to be this format and we need in this many pixels and whatever they just like they just literally say that's not our job we send this shit out. <laughs> you know, and they send it out to get scanned by somebody else who knows what the hell they're doing. So they don't, they, they never, like, they never batted an eyelash. And it was fantastic because it was like working, it was like being one of those old timey EC guys. It was like, you know, they're going to know how to deal with it so I can do whatever the hell I need to do to make it look right the way I know how to make it look right. And the pages, the, um, I mean, the way Monroe works is that, you know, there's the first, there's the first page, and then there's a page two, three spread that runs across the staples, and then there's a fourth page. And those, uh, those page two, three spreads are fucking huge. Um, they're, uh, about 20 by 30. Like, they're big. Oh, wow. Uh, they're bigger than a drum scanner. They're like, it's more like 19 by 28 to sell. Like, they're, they're bigger than a drum scanner. I essentially work on, uh, because it's four pages, I'll buy like a, a sheet of uh, 30 by 40 strath and then, you know, cut it in three. But yeah, that's literally, it's half a sheet of 30 by 40 strath cut down a little bit more. So it's too big to put on a drum scanner. Um, so they literally, they shoot it like they, they would shoot old art in the, in the olden times, only they shoot it with a digital camera and they shoot it at like 1200 DPI. Uh, like against a flat surface, but yeah, it's like it's it's amazing because it looks great. Like no matter what they do, it looks fantastic. Uh, and again, you know, they just they didn't bat an eyelash with it. They shot it all the same way. And um, eventually, we just decided, you know, with deadlines and whatever, that it was best that I just do it in black and white, and and we bring in a colorist. And originally, that was my art director, and then they switched over to a guy named Carl Peterson, who's phenomenal. He's really, I mean, with every strip that he colors it he just improves like with just with leaps and bounds and it's, it's really great it's just watching him grow has been fantastic yeah so now i, I just do it in black and white and I, I throw in occasionally well most of the time i'll throw in ink wash on top of that just to kind of give the illusion of of watercolor and dave deals with it um but uh, dave um carl deals with it perfectly and i think carl's a milwaukee boy too so or at least he's a he's a minnesota guy How's cool. Mad doing these days? 
circulation-wise? Are, are they doing okay? I have no idea. I hope they're doing well. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, there were a bunch of layoffs recently at D.C., and MAD got hit as bad as anyone. And uh, they are, well, I mean, they're, they've moved to quarterly now, which kind of sucks because it certainly affects my bottom line. But uh, I think they're doing as well as they've done certainly for the last few years. They're, what they're trying to do, what they seem to be trying to do now is um, kind of flexing their muscles a little bit as a publisher of things other than just a magazine. So you're, I think you're going to see, and they're also doing some creative services stuff. Um, so I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more from them. The, the weird thing about Matt is that they were really kind of first out of the gates with online stuff. You know, when they were first bought by DC, only a very few years after that, they actually launched a lot of online content. But of course, nobody was online back then. Mm-hmm. You know, like, right. there was no there was no market for it yet. They were too um, far ahead uh, of the curve. They really were, and uh, and so it got it got shut down. And now they're kind of they're they're kind of trying to reemerge, doing a bit more online stuff as well. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of viral stuff, and I'm what I'm kind of hoping is they they just kind of start producing the magazine uh, largely online, and then the print stuff. And this isn't necessarily what they're doing. This is what I hope they do. Um, but they produce the magazine kind of online, and then the magazine becomes uh, a best of the material that they release online as right. kind of annuals or semi-annuals or quarterlies or or whatever. But I would love to see them be able to do that. I don't. I mean. Fingers crossed, because Mad has been nothing but fantastic to me. It was really, uh, you know, be, being picked up by Mad, at the, certainly at the time that I was picked up by them, because I'd never been kind of lower, <laughs> both creatively and professionally, when they kind of called me up and said, like, do you want a monthly gig? And I said, yes. Um, so I'll be with them forever. As long as there is a Mad magazine, I will be, I will be doing everything I possibly can to, to make them happy and keep them going. Because they're awesome, and they were also yeah. one of the first magazines to go digital in the respect that they published the entire run of the magazine on CD-ROM. Yeah. This I'm is, on that. This, oh, really? I mean, like one of the last couple of issues that's on that. Because when they first put that out, I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I'm not in it." And then I read, I I read the issues that were that actually encapsulated, it, and I, I think I'm in the last somewhere in the last four issues that's on there. But I'm on there. It's the very first job I ever did for them. Oh, cool. Um, I'll look that up later. Yeah, it's like an Irish... Uh, they did like... Um, it was around the time that Marvel uh, licensed Spider-Man to the Indian publisher. Remember there was oh, like sure. Indian mm-hmm. Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Matt thought it would be funny to see the uh, you know the, the Spider-Man of, of many nations. And I did the Irish Spider-Man. <laughs> and, uh, it was a blast, and like I said, you know, again, like working with Mad, that was the first job I did with Mad, and they called me. I'd never dreamed I would work in Mad. I'd never even considered it because I was like, well, how the hell would you go to work for Mad? And they literally, out of the blue one day, my phone rings, I pick it up, hey, this is Sam Viviano at Mad. We were looking at this caper thing that you did, and we thought you'd be really great at doing this, this other thing for us. And then he runs down what the job is, and he's like, like you know, so, and at the end of it, he's like, so would you be interested? And I'm like, Sam, you had me at hello. Because <laughs> you're going to say no to Madam? Come on. It is the most professional outfit I have ever worked for, ever, <laughs> in the industry. And it was, just, it, was, it was incredible. And the great thing, too, is like after that one job, they invited one job, one job. 
they invited me to the Christmas party that year, which was, of course, in New York, and it was at the Society of Illustrators. So I went. <laughs> and they were all they were all amazed by this. Like, I can't believe you came. Are you, like, uh, like, Are you kidding me? I could go to the Society of Illustrators. And it was held upstairs. If you ever get a chance to go to the Society of Illustrators' dining room, which is upstairs, go. Because it's this long, it's this, it's this really kind of old, it's this really old school, it's basically it's a bar, but it's this really old school kind of New York venue. But the walls are practically wallpapered in every American classic illustrator ever. So I literally spent the night, I mean, there's, there's a Norman Rockwell above the bar. There's Lideckers. There's, there's Piles. There's Cornwells. There's flag. There's like anyone you can think of is there, you know. And it's, it was just incredible, you know. And I, spent, I literally I spent the entire evening with my face ten inches from the wall. <laughs> I am skeleton jelly. 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 No, I am skeleton jelly. And Al Jaffe was there. So, no way. Yeah, I asked him at the uh, at the beginning of the night. I was like, "Is, is this Jack Davis going to come?" And he was like, "No, he's having both his knees replaced." Ooh. Like, oh, that's, that's probably for the best because I would have piggyback ride ridden him the entire evening. Like, so have you? In my leg. That's Tom Fowler. If if Jaffe had said that to me, I just would have taken that as a snappy comeback. That's stupid. <laughs> exactly. him, nice. So. so have you been in every issue since that time, or is it? No, like- I've been in. Once I took over, I mean, I did after after that first job, I did a couple of others, and then there was nothing for a while. And then, I mean, and and what, when I did that first job, uh, it was right before I came on to Green Arrow, uh, which we're not going to talk about. And uh, then then I was off of Green Arrow, and there wasn't anything for me for a little while. Then I worked for Speakeasy, which we're not going to talk about. Oh, you're a Speakeasy uh, for a survivor. <laughs> we oh, know yeah. those. <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. Um, and uh, then I was, uh, I worked for, actually I worked for Ty Templeton on Planet of the Apes. Uh, and that was great, but it wasn't really lucrative. And when I was coming off the end of it, I was kind of like at my lowest ebb. Uh, like I literally, I was like just a heartbreak away from a nervous breakdown. Because I was just like, I can't what am I doing? Like, I have a mortgage and a family, and I can't do this anymore. That was when Mad called me up and said, hey, Bill Ray's leaving. You want to take over Monroe? And that was that. And I basically, I did Monroe nine or ten out of every 12 or 13 issues. Um, so it wasn't every, it wasn't literally every month, but it, it may well have been. So yeah, so it was a pretty good clip after that point. Like, after once once I took over Monroe, uh, it was a pretty good clip after that. That was in virtually every issue. Month and I should be, I mean, with the quarterly format, I think I'm pretty much in every issue. I will be in every issue uh, quarterly. It may not necessarily be a Monroe every month, but I'll be somewhere. 
in the magazine. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's a reason to pick up Matt. I, I should say so. If you're in a, a Walgreens and you see a copy of Monroe or a copy of Mad, by all means, please pick it up. We need your support. I they hear go good to the things. store and buy the trade of Mysterious. So there we go. We are pushing there we go. it. I'm so sorry. I've, I've no, just, that's... I've blathered on endlessly. <laughs> hey, let's talk about comic books. Yeah. <laughs> I know I teased I teased Vince before before we started that I actually had a drawn and quarterly book to talk about and now he's got to wait an entire week until he finds out what book it is. A cliffhanger. Okay, this issue isn't like this episode is just gathering on. Is it like please talk about one other thing so I don't feel like a complete idiot? Vince is starting to break so up. It's perfect now for you to talk about what you read. <laughs> oh man, you're gonna make no. We don't have enough time to talk about it because I actually want to spend some time on it. Do, do you want me to tell you what it is so maybe people can go out and read it before next week and we can kind of dork out about it? Vince is gone. Not 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 knock three times. Vince. Go and pick up Berlin by Jason Lutz from Drawn and Quarterly. Well, that's a great book. It is an awesome book, and especially if you are a um, a history nerd like me, especially a uh, World War II and pre World War II history nerd, it is even more awesome. I actually, we'll talk about it next week. The reason I found this book is because of Dark Horse Presents and someone had turned me on to an Ed Brubaker story called The Fall, and it was it was drawn by Jason Lutz, and I liked the art so much in that that I seeked out his other stuff and found this this amazing like 15 year project that this guy is involved in and but have uh, you have you read the jar of fools have not read jar of fools nor have i read the um he did uh with uh, nick bertuzzi he did a uh, a harry houdini book as well mm, right yeah no how is how is the it, and it's jar of fools jar of fools it's it's i think it's jar of fools it's been a long time since i've read it mm-hmm. i'm Looking at no, I, th- I think, that, I think that's honest. right. Yeah, yeah. I saw that um, it's it's about, I, if I remember correctly, it's uh, about the brother of a magician trying to a dead magician trying to kind of follow in his brother's footsteps. It's actually kind of an early projector mysterious in, in in a lot of weird in a lot of ways because it's it's a very kind of quirky different story about a magician, kind of magic realism, um, but very very grounded magic realism. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, it's delightful. I mean, it's it's a really great book. Uh, and also in terms of uh, just drawn and quarterly, um, they used to have, they still do, but they used to actually have a quarterly anthology series um, that they'd put out. And uh, one of them, I, I wish I could remember which, um, actually had because you mentioned war stories. Um, they had a reprinting of Jacques Taldy's uh, War in the Trenches, which is a retelling of. A very, very gritty retelling of what it was like to be uh, either a French or a Belgian soldier in the trenches of World War One. That will just make you want to open your wrists, but it's fucking awesome. Like it is just out of this world good. True fiction stuff, especially especially World War One, World War Two stuff, is so fascinating. And and we'll talk about Berlin next week, but it, it's it's about the time in between in, in Berlin, in, in between World War One and, and World War Two, which is is just a fascinating time in in world history. But uh, yeah, this Jason Lutz cat is really good, and uh, um, he hasn't done a ton of stuff, but it looks like he's I guess uh, does some teaching. At 
at the Center for Cartoon Studies I, I picked up on. Maybe went to his blog, and he had done Jar of Fools and this Harry Houdini book, and, and he's been working on Berlin for over 10 years now, and I think yeah. he's got like 16 issues out, so that's, uh, no, it's, it's sweet. So, I'm one of the many, or one of the few, I have no bloody idea, um, who still like Hero Clicks and still play the game. And my son is six, and it's really helped him with, with his numbers and maths and stuff, so subtraction and, um, and all that. And uh, he's learnt his characters um, a lot through, through playing as well. So, myself, a really good friend of mine, we're about the same age, which I'm about, uh, he's about 29, I'm 31, and then my son we'll get together on a Saturday and he, Joe gets to stay up for a little bit longer and play Hero Clicks with us. So we are, we're going to play next Saturday and my friend has got quite an expensive collection. So he's got Parallax and Superboy Prime and all the ones that are far too much money on eBay. And I said to Joe, who should we get? You know, maybe we'll, we'll get a new, a new guy and who, who should we get? Who, who would beat... Uh, my friend's team, and he said, we should get a god hero click. And I just thought that was fantastic, you know? What would the god hero click look like? I think it would be uh, a tiny base with a little fluffy cotton wool cloud with a little cardboard lightning bolt coming out the bottom of it, um, and it could just do anything. Um, yeah, I, I smite your Deadpool hero click with famine and a plague of frogs and rivers of blood. <laughs> And all that good stuff. I smite you with the Book of Revelation. Minus 100 clicks. Dead. But that, that was Joe's idea. That came out of a six-year-old's brain. I think that's fantastic. He could have said a Galactus one, but he knows that's quite expensive. I could always borrow Chris's Fing Fang Foom hero click, which is featured prominently in his den. But um, I thought I'd share the thoughts of a six-year-old child. Anyway, bye-bye. So, I've got a problem. Uh, I was eating Cheerios this morning at the office, as you do, bowl of cereal, whooshed it down, and my colleague made me laugh next to me as I was sort of putting the spoon in my mouth because he suggested that you could get the swine Tamiflu um, medicine as a suppository. And I laughed and kind of half did one of those choke snort things as I was eating, and a Cheerio is kind of whipped up and now it's lodged just at the top of my nose just in the corner of my eye and I'm not quite sure what to do about it so I'm a little bit concerned that it's swapped sides and my fear is that somehow I don't know how the space behind your face works but I think it might what if it works its way up and then I'm talking to someone and it just pops out of my eye I don't know I'm a bit concerned about that uh, quickly make it comic book related my Regina pile now reads Iron Fist Volume 1 Hardcover Volume 2 Hardcover Casanova Volume 1 Hardcover, all for four ninety nine from eBay. Thank you very much. And uh, Exterminators issues one through twenty three. Fucking love eBay this weekend. Don't like Cheerios though. That's it. Bye. I want to just recommend uh, send in the three bucks and get sicko. It's it's a mini comic. It's I love Andy's art. It's got like this real neat underground feel to it. But this basically is a story of Andy feeling sick and just wanting to get better. And if you don't feel for this guy by the end of this story, then you just you you have no soul. It has a happy ending, but yeah. it's oh, just it's not it's not about it's not crap. about him not feeling well, dude. He told me the story about all this. He was like almost dead. 
Yes. He, he was, uh, uh, Tom, this is a, um, Andy hangs out on the forums, but and, no, I've, um, seen, I've seen his. Uh, I've, I've seen his stuff. It's good. It's really good. Actually, he, get, grab Sicko because you, as a uh, a freelance um, cartoonist and illustrator, I mean, one of the biggest fears that a lot of you guys have is health problems because health insurance is expensive. Oh, you're Canadian. Ah, oh, no wonder. Okay. Here for me. Oh, I'm a socialist. <laughs> well, a lot of the the non-socialist uh, American. He says movement. he says actually understanding what the definition of socialism is. <laughs> but yeah, Andy got really sick, and oh, that's you know, bad. Yeah, for for a lot a lot of freelancers, that is uh, that's super scary time. Well, hell, ask ask Bill Loeb's. Like, yeah, you know, I hear horror stories. You know, oh, sicko's awesome. Good call, David. Mister Wood. Probably the thing that I was most excited about this week, uh, I picked up at Windy City, actually, and that was the first hardcover of Darwin Cook's The Spirit. It was frickin' phenomenal. I am woefully underexposed uh, and educated to Will Eisner's spirit, and I need to remedy that in a hurry because, um, you know, I, I, I'm not alone here in being a big Darwin Cook fan, but uh, for some reason I just I never really paid attention to the fact that he was doing that book. I mean, I guess I knew he was doing it, but it just wasn't on my radar. And uh, Well, it's because it was a Wildstorm book. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this first hardcover, uh, yeah, this first hardcover, I think, is the first six issues of his run, and it also has the, the Jeff Loeb written, Darwin Cook illustrated, Batman, uh, Spirit, uh, one shot, but you know it's 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 phenomenal. I mean, it, it was it was really entertaining. Um, you know, the basically one and done stories, and and I as I've come to find out since I've read it, it looks to be fairly true to form of of in, certainly the spirit is in the quote unquote spirit of the original Will Eisner material. Same characters, um, you know, same visual styling. So uh, I loved it, and I already ordered the uh, the second hardcover and and the first Will Eisner. Uh, Spirit Archive, because uh, this is just, I feel like I've been awoken to a, a new set of characters that I was, uh, you know, pretty uh, unfamiliar with before. So um, for those of you curious, uh, this is a, a great way to do it. I mean, you can't go wrong with Darwin Cook artwork, and uh, and this was clearly a labor of love for him. So uh, highly recommend it. If, if, if you like the Spirit enough, would you'll uh, end up reading some Gray Shirt. Yeah. Which is very much in the spirit vein. And David, I don't think he knows who did Gray Shirt, so I, I, your I, joke I, is lost on him. Yeah, I know. Rick Veach would. Ah. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh. A master. Alan Warren, Rick Veach. Yes. A yes. master aping a master. See that? How that works? See that? And you know yeah, what I read this weekend? Tea leaves? No, right? no. I, I gorged Perfect myself ten. on Agents of Atlas, all you 11 man. issues. Atta boy. And Atta I got, boy. I got to say, like Mr. Fowler, Gabriel Hartman Absolutely. is a bastard with yeah. a brush. I, I you want, know he's I, I want to screw the top of his head off and just suck all his talent out and leave him there. Bleeding. Oh, but, I was actually I was actually pitching something that I was writing, and I I wrote to Jeff to say, you know, I, I'd really really like Gabriel to to finish my layouts on this. Can you can you give him my uh, or can can I get his email address from you? And I got this note back from Jeff, which was a, almost a little pissy, saying, you know what, he's mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think Jeff Jeff knows, and we kind of all know now that you know, Gabe 
does what he can in comics, but Gabe still still keeps, I think, a, a more than a toe in Hollywood because he's... Oh, he's, yeah, he's a he's, busy, busy boy. Yeah. He's a very, very sought-after storyboard artist and, and even more, more than just storyboards. So his comic book work, I think, is very labor of love or, oriented, and, and Jeff knows that he only uh, can crank out so many pages. So, yeah, he ain't giving him up. Oh yeah, no. His Atlas stuff. He was working like a full day at I think Warner Brothers um, storyboarding. I think it was Green Air, uh, Green Lantern actually. Um, but doing like all kinds of storyboard stuff. He was working like full like nine to five at Warner Brothers. And then he'd go home and he'd do Atlas at night. Uh, yeah, which is actually, uh... a commitment to the craft that frankly I don't fucking have. <laughs> I was, uh, was talking to uh, Mr. Hardman today for a little bit. Oh, cool. to tell him to congrats on the uh, he's going to be doing the Agents of Atlas stuff when they uh, come back from their little hiatus here, and uh, and he was pretty excited about it. But he he also owes me a commission, so he was he, he pinged me today to say that uh, he hasn't forgotten and he's working on it, and uh, and for me to hang in there. And I said, hey man, I said if if I gotta wait because you're gonna do Agents of Atlas pages, that's that's plenty good reason to wait for my commission. So take your yeah. time, Gabe. Oh, well, he so, just he just actually posted a thread in the Artist Alley section on the. Uh, on the uh, on the on the, on the it's gonna be a long and, beach, uh, right? Yeah, and he was he was saying like, yeah, everybody wants a thirty dollars sketch, and uh, I I had to stop myself from uh, from <laughs> writing back to him to say like, you're charging too little, charge more. Yes, charge more, huh. Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, speak, speaking of commissions, uh, every time I, I record this here podcast, I, I usually end up staring at this beautiful Doctor Strange commission from uh, from Mr. Tom Tom Fowler. It does. It, it sits right above my uh, right above my my computer monitor by my desk, and and so I look at it every day. Tom, are you? And hey, kids, that's how Tom's supporting himself right now. <laughs> I was going to so say you, <laughs> you right on in with those with those with those commissions request because uh, Tom needs to pay his mortgage. How does uh, how does one uh, procure uh, such a, a beautiful piece of artwork as myself and I believe uh, Jason Wood have, uh, right. have one uh, one goes to my commissions etc thread and finds my email address or my blog which is uh, bigbugillustration.com and uh, does a little bit of jiggery pokery to find my uh, my email address and just yeah just shoots me an email and say dude I want like Dakota North having sex with Power Man or whatever, and then I'll say no, but I'll have them having a tea party together. <laughs> a tea bag? Because really, because really, it's 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 all about the subtext. Yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you, if I it's, could, it's a good, it's a good old fashioned dirty anal tea party, like Mr. Bendis loves. I <laughs> I would buy every single page from issue number four, every page. He's joking. He's joking. <laughs> Tom, Tom's like, we'll talk. <laughs> Seriously, I'm joking. It's because if you go to Tom Fowler's email address or website or commissions, etc., you'll find they're all for sale. It's all fucking for sale. Because Tom's a whore and he needs to support himself. Post a picture of my toddler and then you can say, oh, I'm the good little oh, boy. Geez. He should eat. <laughs> trying, do I have a Tom Fowler sketchbook around here? Oh, I do. Yes, you do. Yes. Do, is that for sale as well? Yes. I so those are ten bucks a piece. Yeah, yeah, ten, ten uh, dollars, and it's awesome. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, a few people have gotten them. I think. Wood, did you get one? Did I send one with your commission? 
You did indeed, sir. Yes, you did. See, there you go. Poop load of those. So uh, a lot of time, I'll shove those in. Um, That's cool. Yeah, you've got some cool Hitchhiker's Guide stuff in here, and you mm-hmm. actually you you draw some bitchin' robots. I mean, you you draw you draw great like lumpy, organic, drooly, icky things, but you draw some bitchin' robots too. <laughs> uh, uh, for years, I've stated this um, that the three coolest things in the universe are monkeys, robots. And disembodied brains. <laughs> They're the three fucking coolest things in the universe. Tentacles are close. Hovercrafts are close. But really, it's those three things. So I, 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 I actually, there is, hopefully one day, there will be a webcomic called Monkey, Robot, and Brain that I've been, uh, actually, I'm getting very close to calling my agent and saying, like, hey, can we pitch this to Cartoon Network? Uh, nice. <laughs> which is essentially... Which will essentially be here's the concept on it. Here's the here's the thirty the ten second Hollywood pitch. It's Full House starring a monkey, a robot, and a brain, and every episode at least twelve people are murdered. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what you stay up at night thinking about, which is it really is. Hey everybody, this is Adam Bessonyoti. Earth 616 on the forum, and author of Deus Ex Comica, The Rebirth of a Comic Book Fan. Well, thanks to everyone who entered the Deus Ex Comica 11 o'clock comics forum contest. All the submissions were really great, but I only have one copy of my book that's signed by cover artist and forum member Dave Wachter, and forward author and Marvel legend Tom DeFalco. So, without any further ado, the winner is Jason Farrell. I was blown away by his essay, and I'm thrilled to give him this copy of my book. And with Jason's permission, I'll post his winning entry on the contest forum thread. As always, if you've read and enjoyed the book, please consider rating it and reviewing it on Amazon or Lulu or Goodreads. They're sort of the equivalent of the iTunes reviews we leave for our favorite podcasts. And if you haven't read the book, but would like to purchase a copy, please feel free to contact me. My info's on the forum, and I'd be happy to get a signed copy to you. The book is fifteen fifty for forum members plus shipping, which is usually around two and a quarter for media mail. Thanks again to everyone who entered, and thanks to Vince, Chris, David, and Wood for all their support of my book and letting me do this little contest. And I'll see you all on the forum. Hey man, I'm I'm looking through the sketchbook and uh, and you've got some great Rocket Raccoon sketches in there. I was that was actually meant to be part of a pitch proposal that I was going to set to Marvel to say like, hey, you're not doing anything with Rocket Raccoon. He's an awesome character. I have an idea. Let's do like a children's series of graphic novels. We'll put it in bookstores under a hardcover next to Bone. And then I picked up a, an issue of fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, son of a bitch. And and they're doing great things. Like it's a fantastic oh, yeah. book. It's an awesome uh, book. And, but the ironic thing is that they wound up putting him in almost a carbon copy, the exact outfit that I put him in. And, and, and the outfit that I put him in, I actually cribbed from Twilight. I cribbed from the Chaikin Garcia Lopez book, Twilight, which everyone should try and find, because it's fucking awesome. Uh, but it, it's the, it's the kind of neo-Nazi outfit that Tommy, Tama- that Tommy Tamaro uh, wears uh, when he gets all crazy neo-Nazi. And I was just like, ugh. Oh, Oh yeah. Then on a raccoon. I mean, my kind of, like honestly, the high concept for the stuff that I want to do with with uh, with Rocket Raccoon was was basically to go to Marvel and say, okay, give me Mike Carey, give me Jeff Parker, give me you know, somebody who can write good but can write fun. Have them write the best fucking 
Adam's strange story they can think of, staple a tail to it, and I'll draw that. And that was it. Uh, and I, I actually pitched that to Mark Panacea at Marvel, and he was like, well, you know about the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? I was like, yeah, I know about the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that. And, and Abnett and Lanning are nailing it. And oh, they're they killing made, it. Oh, so they great. made Rocket Raccoon is just the runaway hit of that. Oh, of he that totally point, is. As he should, yeah. as he should be. Oh, so. absolutely. And Wes is just doing the best work of his career. Uh, like Wes is just doing incredible stuff. Wes Craig is just doing incredible stuff on that, and I just love every page of it. And actually, in Montreal, I was sitting next to Wes nice. on the Saturday. He didn't show up for the Sunday, but because he's all too big for his bitches. No, he probably got drunk the night before and had too much of a hangover. But uh, we only do one day at Windy City. <laughs> you gotta do two, man. I'm there in a heartbeat if you do two. We'll see. Maybe we'll, it, the second day I'll just or, be or if you fly me in, then I'll be there in a heartbeat as well. All right, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. All right. <laughs> as always, this episode of Eleven O'clock Comics has been sponsored by DCBS Discount Comic Book Service. Cheap ass comic books delivered right to your door. Check them out on the web at DCBService.com. They are the best. And in your travels, get your ass to a newsstand and pick up the new issue of Juxtapose magazine. It's curated by Pusshead. Anybody, oh, wow. know, anybody know who Pusshead is? David knows. Of course he knows. Is he, is he of the New Hampshire Pussheads? He, <laughs> he is the um, Metallica artist Pusshead of the... Uh, uh, he draws a lot of skull bones, pirates, clot pirates, just evil-looking, disgusting things. He curated this issue. It is great. Five ninety-nine, and you can see Wes Ben Scoder, Rockin' Jelly Bean, Mike Sutphin's in it, Eric So, John Sebolero. It's it's amazing. Lots of fantastic art in this. It's not comics, but some of it is. It's good stuff. And while you're at it, pick up the mysterious, the unfathomable trade when it does come out, because we want to see more February of that 9th. shit. February ninth of next February year 9th. at Finer Comic Shop near you, <laughs> and some that aren't so fine. Every comic shop near you. <laughs> pick up, uh, well, this way you'll be able to keep reading Agents of Atlas, Incredible Hercules. That's not the only reason to pick it up, but you should do it no, anyway. No, no, it is, and and, That's a fantastic and book. take out, uh, get get your three bucks ready for a sicko. Yep. I yep. ordered mine yep. today. True that. True that. I already said uh, your home. Everyone's homework for next week is to go out and pick up uh, Berlin by uh, Jason Lutz. It's uh, published from Drawn and Quarterly, and I plan on talking about it. As we already mentioned, go go pick up Mad Magazine as well. Mm-hmm. Five hundred one came out recently, I think. Yeah, I'm not in that one. I'm in five hundred, but I'm not in five hundred one. But five hundred two. When five hundred two comes out. By all means. Uh-huh. And, uh, and if you are out in the comic stores and you're looking for a little uh, esoteric something to read that uh, that not many people probably have, pick up Amazing Spider-Man. It's worth it. Oh, boy. Way Look to go you. out on a fucking limb there. He's got his big pants on this week. <laughs> he is. He's all grown up. <laughs> got his dress okay. shoes on. His hair's <laughs> all combed. Can I do one? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you two. Uh, sight unseen. I just love the guys, and I'm, uh, I've been whoring myself out all night, so I'm going to whore them out as well. Pick up uh, Underground. Oh, yes. Because Good call. you have to. Uh, and beyond that, uh, because she is, aside from Parker, she is uh, the other, the only other writer that I'm dying to work with. Pick up Gail Simone's Secret Six. Very good. Ooh. I recommended that a week or two ago. Highly recommend. I can vouch for both those. It is out of this world, and I love Gail. 
herself. She's a total sweetheart. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it just gets better every week, or every month. So, so why, why, are you to, about why, why, why are you trying to put Nicholas Scott out of a job? Oh, shit. Oh, no, I don't want to draw it. That's my reason. <laughs> my, my only complaint I don't, about I, that. I, I, I don't draw dude bum anywhere near as well as uh, Well, Tom, that's what I was going to say. My only complaint about that book sometimes when I'm reading it is I feel like it's the awesomeness, but it could be like the ultimate awesomeness if they could go blue with it you know if it wasn't a dc print book right because I, I think they'd have if they if they didn't have the the dc reigns i think they could really have some serious fun with that book i don't know because I, I i always look at it kind of the same way as like we treated mysterious that it was it was like you know it, it's almost better that there is that restraint because you know it, it almost feels naughtier because it's the forbidden fruit every word out of ragdoll's mouth is filthy. Like, every single fucking word is absolutely filthy. And I adore that, because she just gets it in under the wire, you know? Yes. It's like getting something past, like, the censors on TV or something, you know? You're just yes. like, yeah, I didn't know what I was talking about when I was talking about it. Yeah. Definitely one of DC's better books right now, for sure. Oh, absolutely is. Alright. Good job, Tom. There we go, yeah. <laughs> well, Tom, it was a pleasure having you here this week. Well, thank you so much, and I'm I'm I really am sorry that I I seem to have pirated the entire broadcast with just me blathering on like an idiot. But uh, I'll be a huge whore and uh, remind everybody that the uh, mysterious trade in uh, February 9th, That is the date that I've been given, so that's the date I'm going to give you. And please don't wait for a hardcover because there ain't going to be one. Honestly, the, the the best way to ensure that there isn't going to be a hardcover is to wait for the hardcover. Buy the trade. You will not regret it. We are lavishing this thing. So Cool. I can't wait. Sweet. Preach. You know, you, you'll get some pimpage on AC as well. Yep. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, no, when it, when it comes closer to time, I'll, I'll, I'll post a new thread uh, talking about stuff and talking about stuff and they're they're actually uh zach cruzy got in, in touch with me a while back to talk about maybe some fun little extras that we can throw at it uh if people order it through dcbs nice um, and if awesome. people do with that and uh and and beyond that if people decide they want to uh order it through amazon um we will post closer to the the actual release of the book uh we will post a time and a day to order it because uh, some people might say it's dishonest. I say it's good marketing. Uh, <laughs> that if you order it at the same day, on the sa- at the same time, you can, uh, you can pretty much spike your, uh, spike it up through the into the top twenty yep. uh, on yeah. Amazon, where it will get a lot more view and a lot more people will order it because they'll say, "Hey, look, it's in the top 20. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just that's just that's just good sense. It is. <laughs> well, yeah, the the gal that did uh, the um, Huntress Year One. Uh, I oh, forget her name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no, what she what, what she wound she up doing actually was problems. ordering. A, she actually ordered a bunch herself oh. uh, yeah. to distribute to reviewers. Yeah. Which honestly, I mean, as long as you're upfront with that, like I'll do that in a heartbeat. Like if I, you know, if, if she was totally upfront with it. Yeah, and, and, and if I find out, you know, because honestly, like if I find out that um, it, it's going to be cheaper or within the same kind of cost for me to buy it at Amazon to buy like. 50 copies or 100 copies or whatever on Amazon to ultimately resell or gift to people or whatever because I've got to deal with you know if I buy it through the publisher it's X amount you know it's X amount uh, percent off the cover price or whatever but then I've got to deal with duty and brokerage which brokerage is a fun word kids that is essentially a way for Canadian customs to steal your money 
um, you know, I'm going to deal with all that bullshit. So if I find out that it's actually cheaper to do it through Amazon, I will buy a shitload of that book to boost it through. And if anybody says to me, I'm saying it right now. <laughs> like, uh, so, so everybody knows that, like, if, if there's, you know, the benefit is I have the book, I got it for cheap, and hey, look, it's further up on the on the listings. You know, like I will do anything. I'm literally, I am given teary eyed hand jobs to get this book sold because I want to do more. I'm in line. <laughs> Yeah, for the book or the teary-eyed handjob? Hey, uh, anything yes, sir, else? It's a bonus, baby. I garden a lot, so I got real rough hands. So you just, you know, just, just be careful. As long as they don't bleed, I don't care. <laughs> All right. Shake it like a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> Say bye-bye. 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 Goodbye, world. You'll do better next week, Tom, when you're on with us again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be oh, we'll see how I can we'll see how I can derail it then. <laughs> <laughs>